He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. media and i'm joined here with stefan that's me and you're tuning into the dark side driving which is our horror theme podcast where we go through the best movies of the 80s sometimes 90s and sometimes 70s and i like that you've been adding that in so that we're covered when we do do that since we haven't yet but yeah it's that way we don't get like called out for it on the internet i'm priming the pump you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) we don't get roasted in the comments yeah don't at me or do at me actually that's one thing please add us I don't know what I still don't really know what that means, and I'm kind of afraid to ask. But uh, other other famous people say it, so I thought maybe I'd give it a shot. But um, it, I think it's like internet stuff. So like, as long as you say it confidently, then you seem like you are a source of truth. So continue to say it confidently. Yeah. So who I was with? Oh, I was with Kevin the other day, and he said something. Oh man, that's mid. I'm like Kevin. You've been spending too much time with your students. <laughs> like <laughs> adults don't say mid. I guess we kind of do. I don't know. Anyways, um, I mean, I, I've never described anything as mid, but I have felt things are mid. So I guess <laughs> if that's what we're doing, if we can't just say mediocre, because usually if I, if I think something is mid, I'll say it's mediocre, but I'll say it like um, the bad guy from Mad Max Fury Road, which is mediocre. <laughs> Remember that when yeah. he's yelling at a Nicholas Holt's character? Yeah. <laughs> Immortan Joe, that was the name of the bad Immortan guy. Immortan from- Joe. Yeah, that's such a good movie. Yeah, welcome to our Mad Max podcast. We <laughs> <laughs> So, um, why don't you get us kicked off with, uh, we have some pretty cool announcements with um, what we're doing right now. Yeah, it would have been cool if we planned it a little better ahead of time, but you know what? We're figuring this out. We're really doing it. And uh, we we mentioned doing a slasher block for the summer because, you know, summers always get me in a slashy mood. I don't know about anyone else. Well, not slashy. Slash like experience slashing. Not that I'm going to slash. All right, Shane, edit that out because yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be held responsible for any slasher murders that happen in the area. Any slashes but, um, that may anyway, or may not occur. Yeah, I was definitely not involved. I don't have the equipment for it or the patience. Right. So there's that. <laughs> but anyways, um, so we've decided to call this little mini block of three films uh, the Summer Try Slashathon. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? That's awesome. Yeah, so like the Summer Try Slashathon is going to kick off with our movie tonight, which is The Prowler. Ooh. Super excited to get into this, especially after uh, something of a low point with our last episode in terms of movie quality. You don't say. Movie quality, narrative coherence, overall enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have an update for that, but I'll let you keep going. Um, I mean, I just wanted to talk about the Summer Try, try Slashathon. Uh basically going to be uh three movies these episodes are going to land what so the two is it going to be the middle week of july like the monday the 17th of july for this one um which i guess our listeners will know because they they won't see it until then but um that's time maybe and then the next one will be the 31st of july and then the last one then will be the 14th of august so nestled right in the season of slash, as they say, no one's ever said that, but I just did. I feel like our merch is going to go like off the chain. Once we like start making this stuff, we have like smash cut 
we have that we have that would you just say the summer of slash is that we said the summer of slash yeah is that what you just said um yeah i think i did i didn't really plan it though okay. like so yeah let's we'll have to check the tape on that but yeah <laughs> so the and then summer try slashathon unless you were just lying to me when you said you thought it was a cool name and you just got me to say it for all of our listeners to hear and you're actually secretly making fun of me no so like when when you came up with that <laughs> the art, so listeners our biggest problem was we're like well we we want to do four of them but we couldn't like come up with the or you couldn't come up with it i couldn't either but you couldn't come up with a catchy name for four like quad slash a thon <laughs> or something but um so yeah we had to cut one out of the out of the running it, it'll probably make a comeback here in uh maybe a couple months so well that is the thing we kind of waited like a little further into summer than i would have liked to have started the slasher block so maybe next time we can come up with a with another way to brand it uh next summer and then kind of plan it out a little bit better um I'm kind of proud of the amount of planning we did. We have like three movies lined up that we're ready to do. Yeah, totally. And one of them is what we're talking about today. So I guess two more for the audience. But yeah, we, so I think we've, we've done a great job. I'm I'm going to give us a pat on the back for that. We could do a buy, try, slash, thon. So what you, oh, so five? <laughs> I think, right? <laughs> Are there enough weeks? Are there enough like, that's, I don't think the summer lasts that long, does it? Last time. That would be 10 weeks. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. But so, hey, yeah, like, <laughs> quick, quick, quick update on the Supernaturals. I was able to find a German copy that has a DVD, which I'm hoping is an HD version. So it's currently in the mail. So we'll keep you guys posted. But do you believe that will be HD? I'm praying because I shipped it from fucking Germany or England or something. So we'll find there isn't out. a lot about the look of it that leads me to believe that this will be any better than what we've seen. Almost you know nothing. What? Maybe. Maybe. You know, maybe uh, Europe takes better care of, of movies and they'll send that to you in a better condition. Apparently, that is the only way for you to get that movie on any media outside of VHS is from that exact German version, which makes no sense. So, or or maybe it was just super popular in Germany. For all of our German listeners, let us know. But um, yeah. Yeah. So. And V. Heisenzi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's what your, what is your name, yeah. isn't it? V Gates, that's how how are you, right? I think. Well, uh, look it up, and if I did it wrong, then edit that out. Okay. Because I don't want the Duolingo out to hunt me down, because I've been doing German for a while. <laughs> and if I mess that up, I'm going to be murdered by the Duolingo out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, man. Did you, did you do the housekeeping yet? Because I had something to do after housekeeping, but I haven't been paying a ton of attention to where we were in our plans today. So for housekeeping, we have not a lot of news. So... Again, our other like shows are taking a little bit of a break. We're going to still kind of go steady with every other week. I think they're one of the hosts is moving, so not to get too inside of too inside baseball or inside of what's going on. So I think once he gets to where he's going to go, um everything will be kind of back on track. But for us, nothing's going to change. Same bat time, same bat channel, so we'll should be good. Yeah, easy, done. Done. So I guess the thing I'm going to apologize about this time, because like that's kind of one of our things now, is we apologize about stuff we get wrong. <laughs> um, when I was talking about some of the musical cues in the Supernaturals, I did use the term soft motifs. Uh, the actual term, and ironically, is from the German. Uh, it is uh, light motifs. Uh, it's one word. Uh, McMurray actually texted me the word like that the day he was listening to that episode. And I was like, in my defense, though, 
Like, I had never seen the term written. I just heard him say it when we were at that Nosferatu screening. So I can't be really held responsible for not having, like, uh, what's the word? Uh, closed captioning in real life to see the word he was saying. So I was just capturing it in my brain mind and I mixed it up. <laughs> so, yeah, light motifs. Sorry for anyone who's, like, really into, you know, musical theory. And you're like, what the hell is this guy thinking? saying soft motifs like it's some kind of English bullshit. So there you go. Sorry for everyone who knows music. I'll try to do better. I mean, there's always one, so I'm sure you made someone happy for correcting yourself. Probably just McMurray. Again, there's always one. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) All right. So like like you said, uh, we're getting into the Prowler. I absolutely love this movie. Um. Uh, I've watched it a couple times now and man, this thing goes hard, like right from the go, but I, I don't want to get too, too ahead of ourselves, but, um, I, I think we needed something like this as a palate cleanser to get us through what happened to us last time. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything, uh, any cool little facts or anything, um, about the writers or directors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have uh, notes here and it's one of the few times that I've actually like took a deep dive on the writers and the reason why will become clear when I get there. Uh, But yeah, the Prowler is directed by uh, Joseph Zito uh, who doesn't have a long list of credits, but the ones that he does have are pretty notable. Um, He started out his career with like uh, abduction and blood rage, which are kind of lower budget movies. Um, Some of the ones he's probably more popular uh, to, especially fans of uh, action movies starring Chuck Norris are uh, Missing in Action and Invasion USA, which are both starring Chuck Norris, you know, uh, big action movies. He he had a later movie called Delta Force One, The Lost Patrol, which had another Norris in it, but I didn't recognize the name. So I'm assuming it's somebody related to Chuck Norris, because I know that he used to work a lot with his brother Aaron Norris on a lot of things. He was like a big action choreographer with him and stuff like that. So it was like a later effort. Um, oh, there was another one that was like another kind of 80s action movie uh, called Red Scorpion, mm-hmm. which starred none other than Dolph Lundgren. So jot that down, everybody. Add that to your instant cue. I actually have no idea where it's streaming, but I thought that was a cool one. It's actually um, that's actually it, not a bad movie. I mean, it, I so like when you say bad, like air quotes, bad movie, you know, a lot of those 80s action movies are kind of the same. Right. But um I love Dolph Lundgren movies, so if you're um, if you're into those old school '80s action movies, this one's actually pretty good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, probably the only other major like horror feature, and I believe, and this might be, I hope this is true, but I believe that he got the job for Friday the Thirteenth, uh, the final chapter, directing that film, based off of the strength of this film. Because this one wasn't as big of a movie. This was a smaller one. It wasn't a known property. It was kind of a one-off slasher. But it was successful enough and, you know, capably directed enough that they gave him a shot at, you know, Friday the 13th, obviously. I don't have to tell anyone else. That's a pretty big property. (laughs) Like, people know it. Still still limps on, I believe. I don't think they... Have they made one since Freddy vs. Jason? Um... No, I think Halloween had that resurgence. Didn't they just do a Nightmare on Elm Street? Like reboot or something like that isn't that coming out oh they did yeah it was not great yeah so they did, a, they did a friday the 13th reboot as well which i actually thought was decently effective but i thought that freddy versus jason had actually come out after that 
after both of their successive reboots. Well, they're doing that Crystal Lake show. So that's like the new thing. They're doing the Crystal Lake, which I, I think is supposedly linked to that like universe. So I'm pretty sure. It, so this might be a television like series for Friday the 13th. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know about that, but. Oh, dude, you should check out the trailer. It's pretty, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. But no, I was actually wrong. So the Friday the 13th reboot was 2009, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. When was that one? 2010, from what I can tell. Uh, both of them, like I said, not great. I would say that the Friday the 13th one fared a little bit better. Um, I do think that there were some good ideas in um, the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Like you had, um, you did have Jackie Earl Haley putting in a decent performance as Freddy Krueger. Problem being that that's a role that's so tied with uh, what Robert Englund's mm-hmm. character. Like it's like almost hard to like put anyone else in the mask, no matter how good of an actor they are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you top his performance at all. No, no, exactly. And I guess I'm kind of getting really off base here because this wasn't even related to Joseph Zito. But uh, there you go. Covered Joseph Zito, uh, J- Joseph Zito's um, credits. Um, only a handful, but I would say it's a pretty big handful. Like these are known movies for the most part. Like he made a he made a dent in, you know, 80s culture. Um, now bring let me go to the writers. I'm excited for this. Uh, yeah. Did I explain to you why this is so weird or did you did I decide I wanted to surprise you? No, you said you were going to surprise me, but the one writer uh, wrote one of my favorite shows. So, okay. So we'll get there. So there were actually, uh, there are, I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six credited writers on this. There's Glenn Leopold and Neil Barbara. Uh, but then there's additional dialogue by Eric Lewald, Mark Edward Edens, and Michael Edens, who are brothers. And then there's like a separate. Uh, Rosemary's letter, which is read like an, uh, by a voice uh, uh, by one of the characters, or no, the the voice the letter is done uh, via voiceover by the by Rosemary, and that was written by somebody named Sarah Higgins. And just getting this out of the way right now, Sarah Higgins did not have any other credits on IMDb. This is it. <laughs> Rosemary's letter was her one, and it was great. It was ten good. out of ten. <laughs> but would read again. Uh, <laughs> would read again. <laughs> Gotta love them, dear John letters. But so the reason that these guys were so surprised, surprising for me is I think that Glenn Leopold and Neil Barbara had both written uh, a horror film called Too Scared to Scream, which is another slasher movie. But beyond that, every single one of these dudes did almost exclusively children's shows and mostly cartoons. Oh, yeah. Every single one. Like your Scooby Doo's, like on a different Scooby Doo's too, like Scooby and Scrappy Doo, Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo, like Super Friends, like Snorks, the Jetsons, Pawpaw Bears, New Adventures of Johnny Quest, even then later the real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Shane. So both versions of the Adventures of Johnny Quest. So this guy, so th- this isn't my favorite show. This is up there though. Um, SWAT Cats, like fucking awesome. SWAT Cats Radical Squadron. Let me yeah. see. I have it written down here. So that good. Is... That show, I had all the toys. I absolutely loved that show. Yeah. Which one was that? That was one of the guys. Glenn Leopold. Specifically. Was that Glenn Leo- mm-hmm. Leopold? He had, his was huge. Yeah, because he had Biker Mice from Mars. Okay. He had, uh, That's another yeah, he had one, Pirates too. of the Dark Water. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Pirates of the Dark Water. Little little uh, remembered, but great show. And then uh, uh, he did like the Godzilla animated series. Yeah, so Neil Barbara had done like Birdman, Banana Splits, Pebbles and Bam Bam, Scooby-Doo's Laugh Olympics. 
but then he and then he'd done like Tom and Jerry kids, which was rad. So there's so many times where like they would cross paths, but then kind of diverge paths because like uh, Eric Lewald and then the both of the Edens brothers, they seem to do a lot of work with like Disney cartoons. I think that they shared like credits on uh, New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Uh, I think that they all had stints on the various uh, Spider-Man and X-Men, X-Men animated series. Some of the funnier ones were like the Edens brothers had like the uh, uh, Disney Channel original movie uh, called Don't Look Under the Bed, which was surprisingly scary for a Disney Channel original movie. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like about the boogeyman, like hiding under your bed and stuff. So like it's just so wild to me that almost with with like one exception, almost all of these dudes were like doing nothing but uh, but children's (laughs) cartoons. And sometimes, uh, sometimes, uh, just regular children's shows. Cause I, I think a few of them had banana splits credits, but how crazy is it? It is crazy. So Eric Lewald, like obviously X-Men animated series, one of my favorite shows of all time. I absolutely love it. Uh, he was a story editor. He did some development and then was also like a writer creator for that series, which is awesome. But he also was involved in Gargoyles. I was just going to say he's alive. He did, okay. So he did street fighter, the animated series. He did gargoyles. He did. Okay. He, yeah. he also did the Beetlejuice show. Remember that show? Yes. So he, and then he was all over like Chip and Dale, like Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, like all those shows. So like these guys like defined my childhood Saturday mornings, like, which is crazy to think about watch. Cause, cause you like, if anyone hasn't seen the prowler and then we're talking about these cartoons <laughs> and you don't understand the, the irony that we're trying to get through <laughs> here. Like it is crazy some of the shit that happens in this movie. And then you look at their credits and it's just like, yeah, we do kids cartoons. It's like, holy shit. So did you notice that the Edens brothers also had a hand in reboot? Yep. It's love crazy. reboot. It's so yeah. crazy. Then I think that a couple of them had both original versions of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then later versions of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which let's be honest, not all of the later ones are winners. But it's just crazy to be attached to different iterations of Ninja Turtles throughout the generations. Dude, this guy wrote Mummies Alive? I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, nice. actually, a couple of them had had Mummies Alive credits. I just, at some point, I started repeating myself, and I hoped I'd remember which ones are, like, the same and which ones mm-hmm. aren't. But I unfortunately don't. But, like, it's just, but it was crazy how many times they would, like, cross paths, like, on their journey. And there was definitely two of them that did Mummies Alive. It might have been... Uh, Mark Edward Edens and then also Eric Lewald, who both were yeah. involved with Mummies Alive, which is a show that I forgot existed until I read the words. But not not to like so if anyone's really into old cartoons, I really recommend checking out SWAT Cats and Biker Mice from Mars. The Biker Mice from Mars were it was so cool. And then they had all these crazy action figures that went with it. Um, so yeah, definitely uh give that one a watch. It's worth it. Yeah, I should have planned ahead and tried to see where some of those were like streaming. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I'd love to get my hands on some of like real adventures of Johnny Quest. Just because I remember that show being like really good when I was a kid. And it's like, it can't actually be good though, right? So like, I don't know who owns the rights. So that's the other thing. I don't know who owns the rights to some of these shows. Like even if you look at the Biker Mice. Uh, I think a lot of these are Hanna-Barbera properties, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So that's owned by... Uh, by Cartoon Network, which I think is unfortunately now under the control of like HBO Warner right? Brothers. Well, it's Warner Brothers, and you have that 
Zaslav guy who's basically hemorrhaging their content out, like yeah. farming it out to everybody. So who knows where it would end up? But biker mice from Mars might not be though. I can't find it. Like it looks like you have to buy it. So that that's kind of a bummer with some of these old shows and cartoons. Like you'll never like be able to see some of them unless you like could find the DVD box set or find a streaming service that actually has them. Um, because honestly, I don't even see. I don't even think you can get it on Amazon. I think you have to buy it. Because there was a reboot, and I know way too much about this show, um, in 2006. I think that one's readily available. Like, you can find that stuff. But the original... A reboot of what? The Biker Mice series. There's a reboot of that? Yeah, they, they had a 2006 version. I think you worked on that one, too. Um, so, yeah, I know too much. Oh, I might have mi- I might have missed that if, that was, if that's the case. Sorry about that. But I knew that the original Biker Mice from Mars was, like, co- like co-created by stan lee mm-hmm. and everything he did is like owned by disney now so why isn't it on disney plus tell me that one disney yeah I, I don't know and that that was a really weird ip um you know but uh yeah so he wrote so glenn leopold what was wrote the idea an that there was motorcycle riding mice from mars from the planet mars yeah. yeah no that sounds like totally normal what yeah. are you talking about totally how's that weird I think we should move on from Biker Mice from Mars because I'll take up the whole episode <laughs> talking about it. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like this. This one's actually a movie that we want to get to. So yeah, I don't want to spend too yeah. much time on everyone's credits. But I say those words and I look at the next name on my list. And it's one of Pittsburgh's favorite sons, Tom Savini. Horns playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Add the proper fanfare for this man. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, I even have like, I don't know how much you want me to go into his credits because we're going to encounter him again on this podcast all the time. His movies are going to come up, but like, you know, special effects work with like, you know, Martin, Dawn of the Dead. Martin, of course, being a lesser known George Romero film. I'm sure I tell horror fans that Um, he had movies like Nightmare Midnight, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, then Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which he worked on, obviously, with Joseph Zito. You know, Creep Show one and two. Although I think that in number two, his role he actually was mostly an actor in that he wasn't doing special effects work. I think he played the creep in that. He was obviously involved in Tales from the Dark Side, one of the shows that I love bringing up. Uh, he did special effects on Red Scorpion, uh, the Dolph Lundgren movie that was also directed by Joseph Zito. And I was actually surprised to see he worked with on like with the, uh, Joseph Zito on like Invasion USA as well. Because I always think whenever I think of him, I think of his you know work with. George Romero, mm-hmm. which obviously is even more. There's like um, Monkey Shines and other things like that. But the idea that he worked, you know, a handful of times with Joseph Zito as well just goes to show that, like, you know, Tom Savini just like finds certain people that he works well with and he just goes for it. More recently, he had actually done, uh, designed the killer's mask from the black phone that Ethan Hawke. Uh, oh, movie, really? The horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That I was actually either. something that came up in my research. Um, but yeah, like so many other movies, Deranged, Maniac, Day of the Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which I think is an underrated Texas Chainsaw Massacre because a lot of people didn't like it at the time. But if they knew how off the rails that franchise was going to go, they might, they might have been more forgiving. So it was three was one with Vigo, right? Mm, what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 had Vigo Mortensen in it. Or how do you say his last name? Vigo Mortensen? Uh, I think it's Mortensen, yeah, yeah, but like, was he? Yeah. Dude, that was a fucking wild movie. Have you ever seen that movie? Hold on, let me make sure this is the right one. 
God. <laughs> so the other- I mean, I'll just be honest. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. So another thing that we should probably say too, like we need to stop spending so much time not talking to each other because we end up getting together and we'll talk for hours about stupid shit. Um, yeah, Vigo, he's in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. That's a pretty wild movie. So that one's, um, we should actually watch that one. I, I don't know if we would do it for this, but um, I, well, I I always think about like uh, Matthew McConaughey was in one of the ones like the new generation or the next generation. I can't remember what it was like one of the, yeah, he's in the newer ones. one of the abortive sort of changes in direction. That's the thing about the Texas chainsaw massacre franchise is it goes into, do you, have you ever looked at like a timeline for that franchise? Like how many different timelines there are and some of them diverge and some later movies are sequels to earlier movies and some even later movies are sequel to like middle movies and stuff like that. I'll, we won't have to go into it right now, but like there's some crazy stuff going on with that. Um, kind of going back to Tom Savini real fast. Uh, he, he, he was a director of a few episodes of tales from the dark side. So he was like both on the special effects and the directing side for that television program. He did direct the 1990, uh, night of the living dead remake. He directed dead time stories, volume one, uh, the theater bazaar. Uh, there was an episode in the new creep show series on shutter, which is actually, I, I really like that series a lot. Uh, he doesn't. And then probably one of the funner ones, uh, especially for like, I know a lot of people who are, I guess not now, but a lot of the shows on our network were video game focused and probably will continue to be is uh, Tom Savini was a visual effects supervisor and producer on Friday the 13th, the game. The NES one? Uh, no, the new one. Oh, oh, the, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the asynchronous yep. multiplayer yep. one. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. The game's yeah. and pretty, like if you've ever seen that game, it's pretty cool. Like they, they did a really good job. Um, I actually haven't played it. I, I'm not a big fan of asynchronous multiplayer games. Oh, I won't play it, but it looks that, cool. Yeah. Well, now that I know that he's involved in it, maybe I will check it out. It can't be that expensive right now, they, right? Um, no, actually, I, I don't know. And Steam has that sale right now, so like, I it's probably pretty cheap uh, on the computer. But um, so with uh, they did a really good job at like staying faithful to like the characters. So like, you play as like the different camp people like the counselors so like and then like uh various characters that show up through the movie like it, it's actually pretty cool they, they did a really good job Ooh. surprisingly like because like that that type of gameplay i mean it's it's been around for a while but like dead by daylight really kind of made that take off that style of play um so- yeah it kind of ate a lot of other horror games lunch too especially asynchronous ones just because there's constant content releases for dead by daylight and I feel like it's hard for other games to keep up no matter what. So apparently, and honestly, asynchronous multiplayer is not a easy genre to play either. Sorry no, to interrupt. No, no, you're good. There, you're but. fine. No, but apparently there's a Nick Cage DLC coming out for Dead by Daylight. And I don't know if it's a meme or not. And I just like, oh, no, that's real, my friend. Oh, is it really? Oh, it's wild. Yeah, he was at one of the I think it was at Summer Games Fest. He was at one of the recent game shows promoting that holy so. fuck it's wild you should you should look up the the voice dialogue that he does for that game it's i'm like someone did an awesome impersonation of him but it's really him it's crazy if yeah if the one that i heard on tiktok is real then that's wild to me because most of the other characters like the player characters don't speak really right so that's going to be interesting an interesting change to that game <laughs> definitely but um yeah let me move on to some of our cast members here um Luckily, not a lot of them. Well, a couple of them have very lengthy uh, credits, but I'm going to try to focus up on 
just the ones that are kind of our main characters. So our final girl is uh, Pam, Pam McDonald, as played by Vicky Dawson. She uh, has been working pretty consistently, but not in very much interesting stuff, sorry to say. Uh, she was in a movie called Breaking Up and Five Episodes of Another World, which is one of those, um, what do you call them, soap opera things. Uh, Carbon Copy. Uh, she was in like three ABC after school specials, which, you know, there you go. Five episodes of As the World Turns, another another uh, soap opera. Uh, something called Those She Left Behind, Gift of the Magi, About Hope. Um, a lot of those look kind of like Hallmark movies, but I don't think they are. But I'm sure there's a market for that kind of content anyway. Like a Turner Classic kind of thing? Or like AMC, or not AMC, like a Absolutely A&E. not Turner Classic. What are you talking don't about? they have those don't they have those like sunday like movie things where they like make those like made for tv movies and they show them oh, yeah I, my experience with turner classic movies is usually classic movies like, maybe i'm thinking a and e it's yeah it could be a and e i, don't I will know. not like, a, hey, do guys i will not apologize con- for this so <laughs> well you're gonna apologize if uh warner brothers shutters turner classic movies and you just went and bad mouth or, like or sues us i guess for defamation no they're not i think that zaslav's more likely to close it because he's a terrible person but um <laughs> yeah so and then uh, uh our final guy as it were um is going to be mark london unexplicably final guy yeah man i still don't understand we'll how. get there anyway we'll get it there yeah uh, pr- uh played by christopher goutman um, he had a handful of acting credits. He was in some Charlie's Angels uh, episodes, The Edge of Night, uh, Goodbye New York, uh, George Washington 2, The Forging of a Nation, uh, which makes me wonder what was going on in George Washington 1. If, like, one of the things he was most known for is The Forging of a Nation. What was the first movie? <laughs> um, he was also a director for The Edge of Night, which is a show I found out. Um, and it, it turns out his directing credits are like way more prolific than his acting ones. Uh, he directed like 72 episodes of all my children, uh, 148 episode of as the world turns, um, s- a number of other episodes for like another world, the young and the restless days of our lives. So I guess like he was just the director of choice for basically any, you know, soap operas during that time, which is probably for the best. I'm not going to like his performance in this is fine. We, he really didn't seem like he was at ease with his character or his presence here. Um, and I get that. I mean, that's the character is he's supposed to seem like he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, well, he also, I guess the next I'll just talk about, he also, sorry, pro- he also produced 1600 episodes of as the world turns. So he was a, he was a producer for the show for 11 years, which like, if you know anything about soap operas, that's absolutely crazy. So not only was he directing. So when I when I first when I first saw that, I'm like, okay, he definitely acted on the show, and he didn't. So he's actually so he's no, not just never. like tagged on as a producer to get more money or get an office. Like this guy actually produced this stuff. So that that's pretty uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid to admit I don't really understand much about like the production of soap operas, but it really does seem like he was involved in that in some degree. So good for him, you know. It's good to keep working. Um, Next up, I guess I'll bring up Major Chatham. Uh, even though he doesn't appear a lot, is a pretty big name, which is uh, Hollywood tough guy Lawrence Tierney, mm-hmm. Dillinger himself. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything in particular that you wanted to bring up in his credits, because I know he has a ton of them. I was going to bring up that he was in Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> so jot that down. You should get a button uh, and you can just press that and it just does it. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was in uh, uh, Naked Gun. Uh, some horror movies he was in were like uh, From a Whisper to a Scream, uh, which is one I was telling you about that I would maybe like to do for this podcast at some point. Uh, House 3, which uh, House, uh, kind of an underrated series. I don't think House 3 is the strongest installment, but House is pretty good. Um, oh, and not to be mixed up with uh, the Japanese series House. There's an American one that's very different. I guess like what? Born to Kill... Uh, the ghost ship shakedown reservoir dogs like you know a lot of movies where he's a he's a tough okay you're guy. like hopping over reservoir dogs that so if, if anyone is like who the hell is this guy he plays joe cabot in reservoir dogs so like you've definitely seen this guy if you like tarantino films well here's the thing about both tarantino films and reservoir dogs i'm not a big fan of either <laughs> those things you don't say yeah so about to get myself canceled by our listeners because i'm sure they're all fans <laughs> Next up is Sheriff George Frazier, as played by Farley Granger, which is a fun name. Um, he was in uh, some Hitchcock films, uh, Rope, Strangers on a Train, um, some other movies, or uh, uh, Death Will Have Your Eyes, Death Mask. Uh, a lot of TV work throughout the 70s, Hawaii Five-0, Six Million Dollar Man, uh, One Life to Live, Edge of Night, which kind of probably brought him in contact with... Uh, Christopher Goutman, who had directed and acted in Edge of Night, or maybe did bring him in contact, but it's an interesting intersection of their careers. And you know what else Farley Granger I was just going to make a joke, and I'm glad you went there. <laughs> son went there, son the of a bitch. <laughs> and, and, Shane, and he was in the companion series Monsters. <laughs> he, got, he did the whole gamut. <laughs> um... Moving on, uh, there's a character called God, you Lisa. miss Murder, she wrote. And as the world turns, come on. I Here's the thing. I kind of get tired of bringing up soap operas, and I also kind of get tired of bringing up Murder, she wrote. Because basically, here's the thing, audience. If there's an actor who had any kind of uh, name for themselves in the 80s, they were probably in Murder, she wrote. Because the thing ran for like a thousand episodes, and they had to have like basically all new characters for like every episode, because you'd have murders and people who knew the murders and stuff like that like any long-running crime show so they're gonna be in murder she wrote it's like their version of law and order for us that's true yeah. and well there are other there are others too but like yeah i think feel like murder she wrote seems to come up way more often for some reason anyways back to what i was doing which was going on to cindy weintraub who plays lisa humanoids from the deep and baker's dozen there got it in two that was like she had three credits, this and those two things. Humanoids from the Deep, of course, being a particularly trashy Roger Corman film. So can't recommend that one. Although there was an episode that um, uh, Joe Bob Briggs did on The Last Drive-In where he showed uh, Humanoids from the Deep. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a Roger Corman double feature. I think that that night he did uh, admittedly not great transfer of the original version of um little shop of horrors there you go. little shop of horrors so yeah there was like because that was the earlier one was an, another roger corman one and then they followed up with the uh kind of 80s trash that is <laughs> humanoids from the deep so uh but there were interesting conversations during that like in the interview portion that joe bob briggs did was interesting even if the movie itself is kind of like eh, maybe you want to keep your hands off of that one <laughs> um there's paul uh, played by Brian England, um, who is actually the son of Cloris Leachman and filmmaker George England, uh, who would actually die not long after this. He only lived to be 30. Ah. 
Um, so kind of a bummer to start out on. Uh, he was only a handful of things. Crazy Mama, Slumber Party 57, A Christmas to Remember, uh, Vegas Strip War. So uh, his career was unfortunately cut short. There is Sherry, as played by uh, Lisa Dunsheath. Dunsheath? Dunsheath? I don't know if it's Dunsheath or Dunsheath. Um, uh, she was in uh, They All Laughed, Will the Autobiography of uh, G. Gordon Liddy, um, Eddie Macon's Run, uh, some one-off TV episodes. She didn't have the biggest uh, career. I'd say that her career was a little bit more outside of this. I think that she was like in like uh, like a model and stuff like that. It was more her speed. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there's her boyfriend Carl, which we'll get to in the plot synopsis. But Carl is played by David Cedarholm. Uh, he was in The Hunt for Red October and Beastmaster Two Through the Portal of Time. So he. Didn't have doesn't have the biggest resume, but like when you get bangers like that, you know how big a resume do you need? Oh, Sally, as played by Diane Road, literally this. This is it. This was her one. I expected you to react. No, to I was that just messing with you now. <laughs> Did a pregnated pause to see if you would how you would react. I don't think it's pregnated pause. It's pregnant pause, but. Uh, sometimes I just, I don't know what we're even doing here. Anyways, uh, <laughs> then Sally's boyfriend, Ben, uh, played by Tom Bray. Uh, he has some good ones. Uh, Prince of Darkness, John, you know, the John Carpenter film, mm-hmm. uh, Deep Star Six. He was also in, uh, House Three, the horror show, show, uh, with Lawrence Tierney, which is a cool little intersection for them. Um, Miss Allison is played by Donna Davis. Um, she has some Law and Order credits, uh, both the OG and in Criminal Intent, uh, Wings, uh, and kind of a funnier credit. She was in Vigilante Eight, The Second Offense. Love that game. <laughs> the, the sequel to Vigilante Eight. So good. Yeah. So those who don't know, Vigilante Eight was a car combat series that didn't last long, and it was during what the PlayStation era. Yeah, PlayStation that, that One series is around. Yeah, PlayStation One. Yeah, it was. It came for the Twisted Metal Crown, and I don't think it claimed it, but it gave it its all. God, that game was so good. There's another one. We don't have to get into that. That's a whole different animal. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I love Vigilante 8. We're almost to the end here. Just a couple more characters that I want to bring up just because I'm going to bring them up during the synopsis. And I I like to give them their their due. Uh, There's Otto. It's played by Bill Hugh Collins. It was just this and then a movie called Splits. So he had very few. Uh, There's a guy named Old Man Turner. I don't know that they call him Old Man Turner or I just do. I think you Uh, just do. (laughs) Dan Lounsbury. (laughs) Uh, it was in Mannequin, Twisted, and Crocodile Dundee. So there you go. Uh, and then the only one left is Joy Gla- uh, Glockham, who played Rosemary, who is in this, and then the children. Um, so she didn't have a ton of stuff on her resume, which makes sense. I guess she gets pretty swiftly murdered in this. But it's kind of funny because uh, this film in particular has a kind of famous other title to it, which is Rosemary's Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense. And it's the like the... Yeah, it's the European title, and it's like taken from. I think in the trailer, there's like a line that's like Rosemary's killer has come has come back to town or something like that. The idea that the Prowler committed the murder in the fifties of or in the forties of Rosemary, and then is now killing again. So, man, there's that, that. German is title any- makes way more sense now that you said that because I saw the the some of the European like posters because I I was gonna post something. Um, probably still will, but. By the time you hear this, you've already seen it. 
but some of the <laughs> some of the European posters are amazing. They're so good. I mean, I love so I'm I'm definitely a minimalist when it comes to posters and, and artwork. I absolutely love the black and white with the, the guy with the pitchfork going up the hill, like the prowler, and then it just has the writing in the center. I absolutely love it. But if you have a chance, go check out some of the other like movie posters for this that came out in Europe. They're so they're so cool. Yeah, I think I know one of them you're talking about, isn't it? Like uh there's like a profile shot of like the dude in like the helmet and stuff yeah. like that. And then it's like uh it says Rosemary's Killer at the bottom. Yeah. And like on the left it says it will make your blood run cold yep. or something like that. There's actually a, a website that I buy t shirts from a lot. Uh, that has that on a shirt. The only problem is the shirt is red and I only wear black t-shirts. So I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, oh, man. but it is that shirt and it does look really cool. <laughs> so. It does look cool. Well, I, th- but I think, uh, I good. No, no, no. That was really cool. How we both went, we're like yeah. professionals now and we know when it's time to, <laughs> when it's time to like shift gears to our next, <laughs> our next segment. Both trying to transition with, uh, with, what's that, what's your line? No one shall be seated when we transition into, the plot synopsis. Yeah, we have plot synopsis. <laughs> no one will be seated. And I'm sure you'll do some kind of weird effects or if you or you won't just to mess with me. I never know what you're going to do with these. To be honest with you, I don't either. But uh <laughs> love it. The it. Dude, this movie. So, you know, how some of these horror movies have like a really slow beginning and build like hell. No, this thing came right out of the gate. Like, hey, we're going to let people know what the fuck we're about. <laughs> like, I absolutely thought this was one of the best intros to a horror movie I've seen in a long time. So I, I'm so into it. Okay, so like we tell people in advance, you know, what movie we're going to do and everything like that. The idea for of that is both so that people feel like they're talking about it with us. But another reason, especially with a movie like this, is it has like a whodunit quality to it. There's a lot of red herrings throughout mm-hmm. about who the murderer could be. And I think you and I have to decide right now, are we going to pretend that we don't know or are we going to like while we talk about the plot, hang a bell on those moments that are like, this is a red herring. This is them trying to tell us that this is a, like just when it's a misdirect. You know what I mean? Man, that's that's uh, a good question. So hmm. it's probably something I should have brought up before we recording. I guess. No, no, that's cool. I mean, we can we can take most of this out, too, if we have to. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I we'll, kind of we'll, like the idea because I feel like it really makes the movie look good for the number of times that it's trying to fake you out with who could be it. So I kind of want to say like, no, this isn't the killer or no, this is foreshadowing who the real killer is like those kinds of things. And I, I feel like I can't do that if I don't just say, here's who the killer is. And then all the times that it is either trying to make us think it's somebody else, or it's like trying to give like a, um, a alibi to somebody who's like possibly a killer I, I think those are effective moments, but I think they're less effective if you don't know that the person either is or isn't the killer. You know what I mean? Okay. So um, I think we can leave this conversation. And I, this is, this is good because the, well, I think it's important because I want to yeah. give our audience the chance to, if you, if you care about who the killer is, if you care about the mystery, I think we've kind of landed tell me if I'm not 
reading you like how you're talking about it right i think we're gonna spoil it so if you don't want that spoiled and you really want to like experience this maybe pause this go watch it and then come on back and then you can talk about the thing you just watched with us yeah and and they do this is a very so i'll be honest with you i actually i'm usually good at figuring this stuff out pretty quickly um i had a little suspicion at first but I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know. And then they did such a great job at misleading you like the entire time. Um, but yeah, I, I think there were some really subtle Mr. X too, like that were references to things that were referenced in like the early scene in the forties. Yes. It's kind of wild. So I me, think, actually. I think it would be, we would be doing the movie a disservice if we skipped over that stuff. I think we have to point it out because honestly, some of the things I didn't even notice the first time I watched it. Like, to be honest with you, like, cause I, I mean, like, I, I'm like, I, I remember them ref, like referencing stuff, but like until I went back and watched it again, I'm like, holy shit. So yeah, I, I think we would be doing a, uh, a disservice to this movie if we didn't talk about like the, the cool tricks that they did. All right, cool. So then there you have an audience. We're going to spoil who the killer is and then it's Mark. Um, a few moments later. <laughs> now you're just gonna lie to them yeah. it is not mark um i'll say it when the character gets introduced yeah for sure but um but yeah but that way i can also talk about like instances where they're referencing something that will come into play later all right uh smash cut the war is over in europe <laughs> so, uh no this the movie opens with uh a, like a newsreel style thing about like some ship that's bringing fifteen thousand. Uh, soldiers back from Europe after World War II is over. It's kind of an interesting thing because it is uh, basically talking about how you know they left their their lives behind to be heroes, but some of them are coming home to sweethearts that gave them Dear John letters and dumped them, and they'll have to try to restart their lives. Like I sincerely doubt that was in one of those propaganda reels. <laughs> like it's almost no chance they brought that up <laughs> during them. Uh, anyway, smash cut again. Dear John letter as read by Rosemary. Um, and to their credit, they never, she never says the name of the dear John that she's writing the letter to, which is why the mystery is intact. Would have ruined the movie. It would have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you met him, it's like, Oh wait, that's the guy's name. This guy. Um, so yeah. So, uh, you know, Rosemary's doing a, a dear John letter for this, uh, mystery bow. Uh, then we cut to Avalon Bay is the name of the town. Uh, June 1945, and it is the night of uh, the graduation dance. I believe they say night of the graduation dance. Because mm-hmm. um, later on, they're going to say college, by night the of the graduation college. date. Yes, it's yeah. the local college, um, which really threw me off at first until they showed dorms. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this cop isn't dating like a. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of why I said that. Because like the first time watching this, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, holy yeah, shit. No, no. And then, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, then he went to the dorms and I'm like, oh, all right. No, all right, cool. So less creepy. It's not one of those. Still, still looks like a full, a fully adult man, but like that's fine. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, I mean not adult man, like old man. But anyways, uh, there's a soldier pulling up uh, with his date, uh, and they they mention a bunch of names like about somebody named Linda dating some guy with a Cadillac. None of these names mean anything yet. This is just letting you know that there's like a lot of heartbreak flying around to give you kind of the idea that maybe. Like anyone could be the person who is the dear John recipient of the letter. Uh, a lot of soldiers and sailors are at this dance. 
Um, then there's like a, a really annoying MC uh, who's like talking between like band acts. That's when he brings up Glenn Miller. And I'm like, is that a character in this? And then I realized that Glenn Miller was a big band leader who like died in France. So they're just playing one of his songs, but not he's not a local to this fictional town. Or actually, is Avalon Bay a fictional town? It might be a real town, actually. Because I think they wanted to film there, but they couldn't because they ended up filming in like New Jersey or something. Oh, here we go. The, the movie was filmed in Cape May, New Jersey and included the use of some of the city's old Victorian buildings. Yeah, and I've been to Cape May and you can tell like from the it's actually pretty cool. Oh, OK, OK. So I think that the idea was that this, like I think that Avalon. Yeah, here it's it a coastal so, California town. Yeah, so Zito, Zito, uh, Zito wanted to shoot the Prowler in Avalon, California, where it's set. However, I uh, decided to shoot it in Cape May, New Jersey, because yep. he thought it had a ghost, a ghost town quality. Oh, it's it's actually so. pretty creepy, because um, all the houses are like really old, and well, it's because all those people got murdered. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'll have that. So yeah, anyways, uh, now we finally get to the point where we meet uh, Rosemary. Um, she is with her new boyfriend Roy. Uh, and he's he's saying the the place is dead and we we should leave, which is sort of weird because it's very much not and people are just arriving. But I think we all know what he's got planned intercourse. So then anyways, uh, then the MC says something really mean about the drummer of the band. Yeah, <laughs> he says he says that he he has to be sober now. So they need to do swing dancing to make him feel better about his sobriety because he's not allowed to drink anymore. <laughs> It's like, man, I hope that's not true because that's oversharing about that poor drummer. But yeah, I was talking about how the guy, Roy, who's uh, getting Rosemary to leave, is, seems like a real piece of work. Uh, he was like kind of shitting on some guy who works at the place and takes care of it. Um, and that's when Rosemary tells him that, oh, he he takes care of this place and sleeps on a mattress in the basement. There you go. That mattress is going to be important later because or at least I think they're talking there. They're talking about old man Turner. Yeah. Who then is a young man Turner and apparently creepy, but doesn't mean that Roy has to be such an ass about it. Well, so I, I have to ask, you now because I, mm-hmm. so he says that this place is getting dead comment, right? To yes. about when she sees like, it doesn't, she see, I don't want to say the character's name, but doesn't oh, she see him at the she dance? Saw, you think so? And that doesn't because later on the way he talks about him is like in a way that suggests that he they don't know that he's even back from Europe yet. Okay, so maybe it says, was just her friends. Like she saw that like maybe that those are the people that pulled up in that car in the beginning. Because she definitely saw people at the be. dance that she was gonna go over and talk to, and that's when he tried to pull her away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, it could yeah, it could be anybody then, but yeah, because I I thought she was going to talk to Turner or the person we will later learn is Turner. Um, in any case, she wanted to talk to somebody else and he pulled a real alpha move and made a woman do something she didn't want to do because that's how men are supposed to act. Um, then, uh, what was it? He Roy's rich. So instantly won my heart. Uh, cause he tells Rosemary that he'll buy the hotel for her if, for her, if she likes it. So I'm like, great. Like hoping this guy gets killed. Guess what? He will. Uh, then <laughs> Uh, Roy, Roy is, uh, talking about how his dad has even more money than her dad and that her dad is jealous of his dad. I'm like, man, they can't kill Roy fast enough. Cause I am losing my mind over here. I felt that way too. Uh, yeah. There's a woman, 
uh, from earlier who asking where her date Pat is, which actually remark on Pat's name because we later learn who Pat is. Pat is the owner of Kingsley's. Mm -hmm. So, and this is another, and I'll just tell you right now, Pat Kingsley is not the murderer, but this is another red herring that he's not here when a murder is about to happen. So jot that down. Roy, uh, Roy wants to go skinny dipping, but he insists that's actually a joke. Uh, and then they head to this like gazebo that's kind of like on a little island outcropping out in the water, kind of. Then we get a nice cut to uh, some dude with like heavy boots and a pitchfork approaching, but we only see his feet, so we don't know who he is. The the uh, prowler man uh, cuts the lights that are running out to the gazebo to make it dark. Obviously, Rosemary is sort of alarmed by this, uh, but Roy doesn't care, and he tells her to stop playing hard to get because they apparently had had a previous encounter on New Year's Eve, uh, which, by the way, this is like, what, June? So like, Right, and she wrote that letter to him in like, March. Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't realize the math on that. Yep. Well, there you go. So he's trying to get her to sleep with him in the gazebo. Roy says, yeah, if your friend, this is when he says, if your friend uh, from Europe ends up showing up, he'll wish he were back overseas. Um, and there's a funny cut because it cuts the MC asking, hey, is anyone alive out there? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess like the place is dead, but also these two people are about to be dead. Then this is a pretty cool kill because uh, like Roy is kind of like uh, not like on top of Rosemary, but like above her. And the pitchfork is stabbed like through Roy's back and into Rosemary. So it like stabs through him into her and then out her back. It's like, man, this is this dude has some strength behind that pitchfork. Yeah. Which like, we will later learn that strength doesn't go away in the next 30 some odd years when it's 1980. Oh, it was wild. Like the force at which that went through. Like <laughs> that scene is like, cause you know, like a lot of these horror movies, there's a, there, again, there's like a slow build. And like, man, we got like five minutes and then wham, like pitchfork right through the fucking back. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could, I thought that Rosemary got a glimpse of him then because she seemed to like recognize him right before the stab. Right. Um, in any case, uh, the the killer places a rose uh, in Rosemary's uh, dead hand. Cut to the modern days. And by the modern days, I mean 1980. <laughs> so, uh a while ago but uh so they're starting uh there's like a high uh, a sign is getting hung up as women are preparing for the next graduation dance uh we get introduced to deputy mark london who's kind of weird like but not weird in like a scary way just weird and he kind of seems like a dork so he uh he helps two of the women and i think the two women that he's helping are let me think one of them is definitely lisa right mm-hmm it's Lisa and I want to say the other one was Sherry. Yeah, I think you think you're right. It is Sherry. Cause I think, cause I think Carl comes after that and Carl is yeah. Sherry's boyfriend. Yep. So I didn't make a note of Carl at the time. Cause I didn't realize that he would really be important, but, Oh, and this is when I put in my notes. Uh, he seems to be, and then Pam comes out to greet Mark and they seem to be flirting each other. And I was like, I uh, hope she's not in high school and then edit. She's not, she's in college. So marginally more. Okay. So she Pam has like the graduation edition of their school paper and the deputy wants her to go to lunch with him to read it to him. And I didn't really understand that. I guess the joke was there was like a joke because his eyes are too tired from like looking at the sign. 
so he can't read a newspaper. Yeah, their relationship seems not weird at all. But uh, before they go to lunch, uh, Deputy Mark says, I have to check in with the sheriff or he will kill me. Foreshadowing. Yeah. And that's foreshadowing. And I'll t- let me tell you why. Sheriff's the murderer. What? All right. Let's... <laughs> All right. So, what? Spoiler alert. Sheriff is the murderer. Who would have thought? I know it seems crazy, but. Um... I can't wait. Very soon is my favorite <laughs> foreshadowing. Uh, you might have to point out if I, if I didn't catch okay. it. Um, cause are you talking about when the sheriff's at Kingsley's? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Favorite. Okay. That's like my favorite line. Uh, so at the police station, uh, the sheriff, uh, is talking about, uh, how major Chatham would have stopped the graduation dance if he could. Uh, this is where we've learned this is the first one since the incident in 45, but apparently he had a stroke and is like not as capable of exercising his influence. Cause we learned earlier that major Chatham was quite wealthy and probably involved with the school in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where the audience, we can kind of put together that he was Rosemary's father um, and put a stop to like further murders should like dances continue. Uh, this is where the sheriff brings up the next uh, set of uh, red herrings, which is he t- explains to Mark that there's a kid that got caught cut up uh, and his car was stolen in a nearby town. So he's going to be leaving Mark in charge, but he wants him to like keep an eye out and to contact the state police if anything weird happens. Um, I guess at this point, they kind of announced that Mark has been the deputy there for two years. And the sheriff says that he has to fish to start the summer. <laughs> like, so there's that. Um, I'm assuming that fishing is what he, by that means he has to murder to start the summer. Yeah, that was one thing I thought of. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like thinking back. It's like he, if he doesn't kill some fish. He goes other places just kills people. That's yeah, it's like when he if he doesn't go somewhere and and, and kill something, he's gonna kill people here. What a crazy movie if they did that for like a sequel. Like, yeah, just do like in the intervening years. <laughs> he's like been him. killing yeah. people other towns. So yeah, uh uh Pam uh, wants Mark to come to the dance later, even though he'll be on duty, which, you know, that's what all the kids want at their dance is a cop. Yeah. She's worried about Mark since in case the prowler that cut up the kid, uh, we'll get to him. This is when, uh, this is when I think, is it Carl that shows up with a bottle of alcohol talking about them spiking, uh, the punch bowls and hiding it from the chaperones. And this is where I was like, these are seniors in college, right? Like why do they have to have chaperones and why does it matter if they drink? They presumably all of legal drinking age. I do not understand. That's why I think this movie went through like a rewrite period because maybe one of the things was like, Ooh, and then the cop has a relationship with this high school student. They're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> Creepy. So they're like, yeah, that, they, it never was mind. Weird. It's college. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, well, so like one thing this movie does really well, is it doesn't spend a lot of time explaining stuff and like in, in a good way. So like some movies, they just kind of take for granted, like that, you know, or care about this stuff. And like this movie does a great job. It like, it just like, just kind of like glosses over some details and they're just like, yeah, whatever. I just keep moving. Um, I just, you know, I've been at a college like Westminster where it's like, you can't drink on campus is a dry campus or well, even I, right. IUP is a, is a dry, was a dry campus like on the actual campus grounds. Right. So, you know, I kind of like, whatever, I buy it, you know, so I wasn't too, 
or maybe one of them are juniors or something, right? You don't know. So, or sophomores. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. But, um, but anyways, yeah, we cut back to, uh, Sheriff and, and Mark, uh, talking about, you know, how Mark's going to be in charge, mine in mine in the shop and whatnot. Uh, he says that he thinks the worst thing that Mark will have to deal with is kids running wild from the dance. And then, uh, the sheriff and Mark end up going to Kingsley's together because the sheriff says he has to pick up a couple more things. And this is, uh, so they go into the store, they meet Pat. So Pat from earlier is now an adult man because his time has passed. Uh, Pat is the owner of Kingsley's and he has a guy named Otto who does deliveries for him. Um, and Otto's too busy watching something on a TV and doesn't feel like doing a delivery to the major. Cause he's like, the major can wait since he's in a wheelchair. Like, hey, Otto, not cool, man. <laughs> like, yeah, chill out, Otto. Yeah, I mean, we learned that Otto isn't cool, but but he actually maybe isn't so bad because we'll Otto's one scene. of our yeah, he's one of our red herring characters, as we yeah. will find. So whenever uh, George and the sheriff are walking out, two of the girls are walking in. I think it's Lisa and I think it's Lisa and Sherry. Sherry. I think it's Lisa and yeah. Sherry again. I yep. I can't I don't know why I can't remember her name at all. But yeah, so Lisa and Sherry are walking back in, and uh. The sheriff, this is actually, in my opinion, a really good, like, kind of bit of foreshadowing because the sheriff doesn't like says that those girls don't seem like Pam's type of friends or whatever. She doesn't seem like their type. And um, he kind of gives them like a look like where he's clearly doesn't want like when they walk by him in the doorway, he like moves away from them. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a really good piece of physical acting to kind of show that he is like got some issues here. <laughs> Like he obviously has issues with women and that's like, what's kind of making the massacre he'll commit happen. But again, you don't know he's the murderer. So you'd have to see on like a rewatch or if you knew going into it somehow that the, Oh, this is why the sheriff is acting so dodgy around these girls is because he wants to murder them and he will. (laughs) Um, It's important to achieve your goals, you know? So I have an interesting question we can bring up later. But if you, yeah, well, if you want to stop me now, you can. No, no, no. It's, it's at the the graveyard scene. Okay. Okay. Yep. So this is where I actually put the name. So like Carl is dating Sherry, blonde girl, Sherry, brunette girl is Lisa. I finally got all their names written down, man. It took me so long um, to actually put them in my notes. Okay. So yeah, they're now we're in the dorms. They're talking about how, uh, major Chatham is always staring at them uh, from his windows. Um, which we'll later learn is not that he's a pervert. It's that his daughter was murdered, which by the way, they know about that. Like it's a local, like scuttlebutt thing that like everyone kind of knows that his daughter was murdered. Right. Right. So it seems really insensitive of Lisa that then scream and like take off or open the front of her shirt to like show her chest to poor major Chatham. Cause they, they should know he's just concerned for them. <laughs> So. Yeah, but then they didn't have to do the jump cut to him like staring at it. It's kind of so. I think that was also another. Well, he red recoiled hairy. a bit. Yeah, but I think they were trying to make him out to be like a creep too. Uh, did you think that the stroke in the wheelchair thing was actually like fake? That he might have been after them? No, I didn't think it was. We fake. did get a scene with him later where he's around, but he is wheelchair bound. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of moments like that. But this is actually a really cool sequence, in my opinion. You let me know if you feel the same way. So it's like a cut between the Prowler suiting up, Mm -hmm. like, you know, getting his boots laced up, getting his like gloves and stuff. And it's like and it cuts to the girls getting dressed for the dance. And I really thought that was an interesting, like, 
kind of cross cutting between those two events. Like they're both getting suited up for their evenings activities. Yeah, <laughs> it was cool. Uh, yeah, every like every shot they did with the prowler because they never like show him like fully until a little later. Right. You get pieces like or or if like they do, it's like from further away. Like there's never like a full shot until later. So I think the suiting up thing was cool because it like, I don't know, it just you're it, it allows you to like use your imagination to kind of fill in some gaps that I think are pretty cool. That's a that's a cool technique. Yeah, I don't think we'll see the see him in full garb until after the next uh, couple of kills. Yep. Um, because, uh, yeah, because we because that's when he pursues um, Pam. But yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, just like kind of diving into this. So during most of the pursuit scenes of the Prowler, it was like one of the assistant directors that was in the suit. Um, during all of the kill scenes, it was actually Tom Savini in the suit. And the reason for that is because he was the one who would enact the special effect work. He was the one who knew how to perform it in a way that the effect would go off without a hitch. So rather than teaching an actor how to do it, he would just do it himself. Awesome. Uh, and then so fine. Cool. Yeah. And then in the last scene, it's uh, it's Farley Granger, you know, fully right. kitted out. And like, yeah, because he wasn't wearing it like most of the movie, which is really interesting. Yeah, so I was like, I, I wish I'd remember the name of the assistant director. That's kind of you missed my favorite um, red herring or like uh, what were we calling them? I mean, red hangs are fine. I mean, yeah. that is what it is. Misdirect, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah okay. What was it? What did I miss? All right. So when the sheriff is leaving Kingsley's and, and they're trying to do that weird like dialogue between um, Otto and, and Pat, uh, when he gets in a truck and leaves, and right after the sheriff says that line about the girls, Pat says to him, hey, why don't you try using the bait to catch fish this time? Because because apparently he never catches anything, which I was I thought was so cool. Like looking back, like he just kind of like so everyone's like, oh, he must suck at fishing. He goes every year and never catches anything. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, that is kind of feed into the idea that he's just like using it as an excuse to leave town and do yeah. whatever he needs to do. Yep. And then like that's why this like dance is like what's bringing him back home for it. That is fun. I like that idea. Yep. I didn't even really pick up on that. Um, proceed. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Sherry is uh, still in the shower or whatever. Uh, so Pam is like, hey, do you want me to wait for you? Sherry says no. She likes to make Carl wait. Carl being her boyfriend. So it's like, well, I have a bad feeling how that's going to go for her. There's kind of an interesting uh, jump scare here where uh, and that, th this is kind of one of the first of many scenes that involve a lot of like cuts that may or may not be fake out cuts for something that either is or isn't watching her. So in so many of these cuts, we're either in a real POV of a killer or or someone stalking a fake POV, or we're getting tricked into getting misdirected into a jump scare, which usually I don't like. But whenever you do the work like that, I actually don't mind it so much. Yeah, um, they built tension so well throughout this movie. A lot of long shots. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say this one is like one of the, the first ones because she's walking out of the building. She hears something behind her. She's so focused on what's behind her. And we are that we don't realize when she runs into somebody who's in front of her. Yep. Um, so sorry. What were you going to say though? Well, so one movie that did this really well. Um, I, some people don't like this movie, which I don't understand is the strangers, um, which came out, I think what 2006 or 2007. And they did a lot of 
like work with like building tension over long shots like that because because the movie really only takes place in like four rooms right so there's like the bedroom the hallway and then like the kitchen living room kind of area and this movie does a great job at building that tension and then it releases that tension quickly but then builds it back again so like the strangers did kind of like an opposite thing where they would build tension quickly and then you would think, oh, there's no way that's going to be like a jump scare. And it is, right? So um, I, so kudos to a lot of these filmmakers and directors for like using like, again, long shots like that to, to help build tension. The, the music really helped in this too. Uh, a lot of really good strikes. Um, you know, they, they did a great job with the strings, like trying to keep everything like really tense. Like you're always like kind of on the edge of your seat. So I, I absolutely love these scenes, especially in the dorm um, and then in the house later. But. Yeah, and I, I'd complained in the last movie about how there wasn't enough synth music. And it's, you know, I love myself some synth music, but, you know, being an earlier 80s movie, this one is, like, it was using a lot of actual, like, you know, instrumentation, but I thought I was using it effectively, as opposed mm-hmm. to The Supernaturals, which was just doing Civil War knockoff music. So, uh, way better off this way. But yeah, no, I think that there are plenty of uh, directors, you know, that see this kind of work and get the right lessons from it. But there are also a lot that get the wrong lessons. Oh, for sure. You can easily squeeze out a jump scare on somebody. If you do the cheap thing, which is to rely on the fact that the audience perspective is restricted to whatever the director is showing them. But if you do the work and you ratchet up the tension and you like make the audience like live in that moment, that takes skill. That doesn't just happen because you haunted house something in front of somebody like out of nowhere. So I, and I think this one, and I, I'm surprised to, I thought that the strangers was rather well received because that for in particular, like some of those long scenes of like, uh, was it, uh, live, live Tyler mm-hmm. in the house. And, and then like, you see that burlap sat guy, just like walk into the corner behind her and then just walk away. And it's like, Oh no. I mean, when she shoots her brother-in-law or best man, whatever, like, which is, uh, which yeah, is actually Dennis. Dennis from, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Glenn Howard. <laughs> I know this isn't a strangers, but that's like one of my favorite horror movies that and the conjuring. But, um, yeah, when they play that long scene of like her in that room waiting for someone just to walk through there, or was it him? Did he shoot? I can't remember who shot the, I'm pretty sure it was her. Wasn't it? No, it was him. It when was he, him. Yeah. It was him when he shot his best friend, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah so but this movie does a great job at doing stuff like that too, where it kind of like you, you kind of in your mind, you're like, I, this is how this is going to play out. And they do a lot to like subvert that, um, or eventually get to that point, but they do it in a way that you're not expecting, which kind of makes it a lot more effective. But yeah, there are a lot of movies that do that like cheapishly. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. And there are plenty that do it effectively. I just think that it's easy to do it cheaply to just, to just rely on that as a shortcut and not to treat it like the tool that it is. But anyways, um, the jump scare, but it wasn't the prowler. It was actually, I have in my notes that it was Carl, but it wasn't Carl. Was it? It was Paul. Wasn't it Paul? I don't remember. It was Sherry's boyfriend. Oh, so it was Carl. Okay. It was in the, in the dorm. I know. I knew he was in the dorm, but I thought that the person that she ran into outside the dorm was Carl or was, 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 uh, Paul. No, you're, but okay, you're so right. no, no, you're no, right. No. You're right. You're right. It was, you're right. It was because, because it was, it wasn't just Paul. Lisa was there too, right? You're right. It's and Paul. then the others. So it was Paul, but the person she heard that she was turning around 
the, that, that she probably heard anyway, because we assumed it's, oh, it's the Prowler. But then we get a scene of someone, what, sneaking into um, the, the Prowler, what we think is the Prowler, uh, walking down the halls towards the room into the bathroom while Sherry is showering. But then we get a jump scare and then that's Carl. So probably the person that Pam had heard was was Carl going in, but she was so focused on him that she didn't realize she ran into Paul and then Lisa and I think the other two people. Um, what was it? Uh, Sally and Ben. So I think it was all of them were there getting ready to go to the dance together. Oh yeah, but then anyway, Sherry's like, "Get on in here, Carl. Let's do the sex." So then um, she he goes out of the bathroom to uh, get changed. But as soon as he sh- uh, shuts the door and uh, uh, sits down to like start getting undressed, he gets grabbed by the prowler and there's a pretty messed up effect where the prowler takes like a, is like holding his head and like stabs a bayonet through like where like like right where like you're when you're a baby, the soft, soft spot, your skull yeah. came together and just yeah. like down through his head and out the bottom. And it's like in most of these movies, they like are like, okay, and then they're dead. And it's like, no, he's just dying now, bleeding while the prowler holds his like mouth shut so he can't yell. And it's like, oh man, that's so great. And it like had come out the bottom of his jaw and stuff. And the eyes. And his eyes like roll back in the back of his head because of like probably the horror, horrific pain. And then the prowler just being the real piece of trash he is, just like grabs Carl's pocket square and cleans off his bayonet. Yep. Cause he's not done here. Let me tell you. Um, so like in terms of like kills throughout the movie, I think these two were my, like probably, I think my favorite, like, I think they're the best and like well done. Yeah. There it was pretty wild. They're like, I did not expect that the first time I saw it. No, 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 no. And that's the thing is like, they're almost like, I think that especially like the way, like neither of these characters die instantly. Like these are gruesome, cruel kills. And, you know, we have Tom Savini at the helm here. So they look even today, even all these years later, still like hold up really well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But then here's like, here's the really gruesome one is like, and probably this one's probably my favorite kill. So the Prowler just opens up the shower door and Sherry's in there and he just like go, takes his pitchfork and just like stabs her clean through. And then as she's like screaming, he's like lifting her up. Mm hmm. Like, oh man, like that's, that's like, and then she's like, and like I said, she doesn't die right away. So it's like taking so long to happen. Yeah, it was, Um, it was this, this scene. I mean, the rest of the movie is really good, but this scene here, cause I'm like, okay, we had the cool pitch for kill in the beginning. And the first time I watched this, I'm like, I'm like, all right, that was a pretty cool kill. I don't know what else we're going to get into. And it was like, wham, I'm like, holy shit. It was like, boom, boom, like right after the other. So, uh, definitely probably in my opinion and i i could just be a little biased this is probably some of the best like slasher kill scenes i've seen i believe i'd have to check my uh my notes again but i believe that um you know even though i'm not a tarantino fan uh those two kills are considered two of his favorite slasher kills just the effectiveness of them and i would agree i think that those are two very effective kills like and and that's one of those times that you know that like because Tom Savini having served in Vietnam and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like saw a lot of stuff happen. So, you know, he's leaning on the knowledge of things he'd seen over there 
to like make these kills even more like gruesome and realistic and stuff like that. Yeah. And he does it. <laughs> and then there's always that like bit like where, especially in these movies, like the blood doesn't quite look right. But with these two in particular, it doesn't actually affect it in my opinion, just because there's like a lot of blood, but it's like the focus is more on like the brutality of the slaying and not necessarily the, the physics of it, which I think hurts another kill. It'll happen later a little bit, but not really that much because I also like another one that's coming up quite a bit. Anyways, uh, cut to the dance. Um, there's a, there's a band playing. They have a very seventies vibe. I felt, you know, this is still 1980 that this is taking place, which by the way, the movie was released in 81, but everything that's happening is taking place in June of 1980. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. I think I did, but yeah, so there's still like a, very 70s vibe to the band. So Deputy Mark uh, instantly is going to shirk his duties and go straight to the dance, <laughs> despite uh, the possibility of um, potentially stab-happy prowlers being afoot. But he gets grabbed instantly by Lisa while he's on his way to uh, see Pam, and Lisa makes him dance with him. And uh, Pam is, like, annoyed, but he, like, looks at her and can tell she's mad and just shrugs. Like, you're not trapped, dude. Like, you can leave the dance floor. There's nothing that requires you to be there. It was such an uncomfortable dance, too. Like, Oh, you're saying that Deputy Scarecrow over here hasn't got the moves? Like, literally, I watched it and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you just get the feeling that Lisa, who already seemed like she wasn't that, that cool of a friend, is also still a pretty bad friend. Yeah, we all know those. Um, Yeah, uh, during that time, Paul is spiking the punch uh, while Pam is there. Once the dance is finally over, Deputy Mark, did I say Mike earlier? I might have said Mike on accident, but yeah, Deputy Mark um, is getting punch, but then Lisa comes up behind him and bumps into him accidentally, air quotes, uh, so that he dumps the punch on Pam. Uh, so she's obviously not pleased and goes back to the dorm room to change. Then here's there's some side stuff about old man Turner about he was he was talking he's talking to uh the chaperone Miss Allison mm -hmm. and e explaining that like oh this reminds me of the good old days like, right so that's just a side thing just to make him a possible red herring later I I know we keep going back to the dorm kill scene mm -hmm. but the like I know we're there but like the fact that she goes back to the dorm like misses all that stuff right. And they don't even find, and I'm sorry, I will spoil this. They don't even find out until the end of the movie that her friend uh, Sherry was killed. That, uh, okay, so, yeah. So what happens is she goes back uh, to, you know, she's like, announces to, you know, presumably what she thinks is Sherry and Carl, you know, in the shower together. And is like, don't worry, I'll close the door or whatever. So she just goes and shuts the door, not realizing that, you know, both of them are in, because she sees uh, Carl's clothes somehow not enough blood that she's suspicious. There's a little bit, you can see some, mm -hmm. but not enough that she notices it. And she doesn't notice the blood like on the walls when she goes to shut the bathroom door, because she's like, I'll, I'll shut the door. Uh, and at that point, the prowler had moved Carl's body right into, into the bathroom. And that was actually, so the scene where, so what he's doing is his ritual where he lays like a rose onto Sherry's hand. Uh, now she's dead. This was all actually shot as one scene with the rest of the kill stuff. Like it was intended to be one scene, mm -hmm. but they actually re-edited it to make it like this, where like 
the tension is more even more knowing the prowler is in there staging the bodies and doing all the stuff that we'll see later is what he did yep so it's actually a really cool scene this whole like rose thing while she's in the other room getting changed so uh once pam uh gets changed uh she you know she's leaving out to go out of there uh, and then she hears a door close and hears some creaking um, and I'm like, oh, she's finally being a bit suspicious because she was not suspicious about, you know, the bit of blood and like the lack of voice or anything coming from her roommate and her boyfriend. Like, it seems so crazy that she didn't get even a little bit suspicious. Um, but then she looks at back up to the top of the stairs. She just descended and it's Prowler. So our first fo- look at that shadow was so cool. Yeah, his like his. Yeah, you first see a shadow and yeah, his helmeted shadow. And then she turns around and then boom, Prowler. So, um, <laughs> boom, prowler, new catchphrase. Uh, so then she runs around like yelling for some of the other people who live in different rooms. All of the rooms are locked. No one's there. They're all at the dance. She tries to go to an exit door and it's jammed. And every other door she tries to go to is jammed. I'm like, is this before fire codes existed? Like, how can you have like residences that, like have no, like where all the doors just painted over. So they would all like be jammed at the right time. <laughs> so. Uh, she's on the run. Uh, she finally does get outside. She finds a door that isn't jammed, but then she gets grabbed by Major Chatham in his wheelchair. She he's like holding onto her dress and like she's like screaming, trying to get him to like let her go. And I have zero idea why he's doing any of this other than to just make us think later, like maybe he's involved. Yeah, right. Because he's not like telling her anything. He's just grabbing her and like we can't talk yet a stroke. Uh, yeah, I guess he can't talk, but like he's clearly just upsetting her more and right. she's clearly running from something. Spoiler alert, it's a prowler. Pam is once again looking behind her while running and this time she runs into Deputy Mark. She explains, you know, that she saw a spooky man who was pursuing her and also the major. Then Mark goes to investigate and leaves uh, Pam in his police Jeep. Is it a Jeep that he has or a truck? I think it's a Jeep, right? Yeah, some kind of Jeep. He returns and explains that he saw like the prowler's footsteps and and saw like oh of course we get a jump scare <laughs> where Mark opens the door. That one was a little cheap. That one I didn't I don't know if they really earned that one. There's other ones I think they earned a little better than that. Um but when he gets back to the Jeep he jump scares Pam and explains mm-hmm. that he found the uh, wheelchair marks and the boot prints. Um so at least we don't have one of those situations where he like tries to gaslight her into it was probably just a prank. It's like no, he finds evidence and he seems on board. Uh, I think a, a lesser movie might not have had him be on board. So I, I, I don't think that was a cheap scare. And at first I felt the same way, but they do that to her a few times in the car. And I think that's to disarm you. So you think that that's establishing that, that the car might be safe then. So that later on when something happens with the car, it's not as safe or just to establish the fact that, She's constantly going to be getting jump scared in this car. I think both, but I think it was more to disarm the audience. Like, cause it happens again a couple of times and you're just like, but I think the, the one that happens at the graveyard is way more effective because of the one with Mark. So you expect it to, you know what I mean? Well, it also establishes that she uh, never locks the doors when yeah, she's right. in there, which is True. super easy to do and will come into play later. <laughs> um, so, he goes back into the house. Uh, Mark goes back into the house to investigate if Sherry and Carl are okay. Um, but 
he's not able to get into the room, right? The door at that point is locked because there's a reason yes, he doesn't discover yes. their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So the, the door is locked. Yep. So check it out. Prowler's been locking doors behind him. Keep the bodies hidden so you can get some more kill counts. Well, I have uh, a theory about that, but we can get into it later. Okay. I mean, it's up to you. You can bring it up now if you so want to. So I don't think Pam... So and I, my memory could be foggy on this, right? So the only two roommates that he kills are Lisa and Sherry, right? Um, I thought that Lisa was in a different. I thought they were adjoining, like they were like those adjoining rooms, like kind of like. A oh, oh, so you think that they have like a suite and then the bathroom yeah. is like between them. Okay. Gotcha. So, because at one point Sherry's kind of hanging out with Lisa in that room and she flashes the guy and then was it was Sally. There was one other girl that was with them. Right. It was whoever. Yeah, was Sally is the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Sally's the other one. Does Sally get, I, I, I my memory's kind of, I don't think she even is really involved in the rest of the movie. Right. Or is she. Uh, I, only later when they give us another moment where we think that there might be a, the, a different possible murderer. Yeah. And there isn't, it's just another yep. creep. <laughs> just right. Another so, creepy so like, I don't think Pam or Sally were the targets. I think Lisa was the target. Because like the major, because I think, and we'll get into this later, but I think Lisa was the target and Sherry, not Pam and uh, Sally. And I think Pam was at the wrong place at the wrong time at the dorm. Uh, And that's possible. I mean, we did establish like knowing what we know and who the sheriff is like that. He definitely did not like those two in particular. Yep. Um, But yeah. yeah. So anyways. um, oh, uh, Mark returns and they head off to Major Chatham's house to question him, which they probably beat him there because it seemed like a very long driveway and he is wheelchair bound. But there's no answer at his place again because he's probably not there. And I don't think we ever find out where he is. Right? Nothing. Like, you never see him again. <laughs> he's just gone. He's like Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Tierney or whatever. He's like, I got my I got my paycheck. I'm out. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was going to ask you done. about that. I'm like, did I miss something? Like you never see him again. No, no, yeah. no, no. And they just like be in his house like twice. Like, yeah. So it's, it's like, what is he going to do? Stop us? He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they. Um, well, my favorite thing is like, I wonder if he's upstairs. It's like, come on. No. Okay. The cop checks for him upstairs twice. I know. Are you like, <laughs> there's not any. I I don't even. I'll get into it as we go through the plot. Yeah. But like, this dude is not the crack police officer that you, i mean i guess that's what you expect from like a spooky town like this but yeah, man right. like just so he was like he goes upstairs to check once is like it doesn't look like anyone's been up here for years or something and then he's like okay i gotta go see if i can find see if i can find the major and he goes upstairs again and is like were you dropped on your head deputy <laughs> but um see so yeah so um where was I? Um, they break into the house, so they're, they're breaking. Yeah, into they the they went through the window, right? Yep. Um, in the back. Yeah, yeah. They go through the window. There's a quick sting scare where they yell for the major, and it cuts to the prowler turning around, meaning he's in the building. So the prowler is in the house, which I think is meant to be another like red herring that maybe the major is faking and is actually the prowler or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they never really follow through with that version of it. And there's some additional like stings of like whenever Pam moves to another room, like the prowlers like turning, um, which are interesting, but like they don't do a lot with that. Just kind of establish a sense of place for the prowler there. That's when uh, Pam finds pictures of uh, Francis Chatham holding a rose. Maybe it's related to the roses that keep left being left on the 
on the bodies. Oh, wait, yeah, they're just going to tell us now. Rosemary is her middle name. <laughs> so she just goes by it. Uh, and then there's a pressed rose. It's like the rose that was left on Rosemary's body, which Pam had wrote about in the article that she had written about this, which is the first we're hearing that she wrote an article about this murder. But apparently she's annoyed with Mark for not realizing it. I get the feeling that he's just not a big reader because he doesn't seem to read any of her articles for the paper. It's like Mark doesn't do much as a person. No. Well, what he does is uh, mess up because that's when Pam, the first time Pam suggests that Mark call the sheriff and he's like offended by it. Yeah. But like, I guess at this point he doesn't know that there have been murders. So I guess he could forgive him it a little bit, but like still there's something afoot here, but we go back to the dance. Our man, Paul has drank too much and is throwing up in the bathroom. Lisa storms in and is upset with him, uh, which is interesting because I understand that like, you know, maybe she doesn't like the idea that he got drunk, but like he didn't, he did a lot of like telegraphing that movement. And maybe if she wasn't too busy trying to steal her friend's man, then she could have stopped her man from getting too drunk, but she's done with it. She's going to go to uh, have a swim in the pool, which is the first we're hearing about a pool. But then at this point, uh, Pam uh, goes and tells Miss Allison, uh, the chaperone, Miss Allison, about the prowler. Uh, so they can warn everyone. Um, Such a cool which, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, did you hear the song the band was singing, by the way? No. I. It, it was creepy. Oh, it was like a like yeah a, a, about wanting to yeah. yeah like to about wanting to make a woman bleed. I'm like, did yeah. the sheriff write this? But anyways, um, and I still question the reasoning for having a chaperone at a college dance. But whatever, maybe it's just a really religious school I, or something. I agree with you. No, I think it was a rewrite. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just weird. I think it's just an excuse to have another uh, spoiler alert, another murder. But then um, uh, the dance, the uh, Miss Allison announces, uh, you know, that everyone has to stay inside. There's a prowler boot, um, but he she says it literally right after Lisa left to go to the pool. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a cool little uh, bit because one of the other girl, the least memorable one of them all, Sally. Uh, so Sally uh, is talking to her boyfriend, uh, Ben, and is like, should we you know, tell Miss Allison that Lisa left? And uh, Ben's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. Paul's going to go out with her, except... Paul tries to leave and his, uh, you know, sloppy ass gets stopped by, by Miss Allison and old man Turner. I do keep calling him old man Turner and that is not what they call him. In the movie. It was Mr. Turner, right? I think it was, I think it's just Mr. Turner or just Turner. Yeah. Like yeah. whatever. Um, and then, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, Mr. Turner yells that he wants Paul arrested because Paul's being belligerent because he wants to go out to where Lisa is. Um, but he doesn't articulate that again because he's drunk. And this is kind of like basically this is all the things that kind of lead to some additional deaths. So Mark wants to placate Turner. So he uh, arrests Paul for uh, public intoxication, I guess. I, it's not really public. I think he tells him later it was for disorderly conduct because I guess it was a little disorderly. But it didn't seem like it was that bad. I think that Mark's just kind of a pushover and maybe shouldn't be in law enforcement. But anyways... We get to a scene of Lisa swimming in the pool. Everything seems to be chill, except, except she goes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh at this. She goes to climb out of the pool and gets booted to the face by the prowler. Like, what did you think of that scene where she's just like surprised? The, the, the weird surprised. flailing underwater was kind of weird. It was like, 
you know, when like you have a, like you're, I don't know if you're like with a younger sibling or like cousin or something and they're like trying to do tricks underwater and they're just doing weird movements. That's how I felt like when she got kicked in the head, she was just like spinning around and doing weird shit underwater. But yeah, I thought, what? I thought, I mean, it wasn't amusing, but yeah, it was kind of, I, I kind of well, didn't expect it to be honest with you. Yeah, no, was, because she didn't even like see the prowler until she like yeah. gets up the ladder and he just like boots her in the face. And I was like, did they just kick this lady in the face? And I actually looked it up. Sure did you did. look up how it was done? No. They're like, oh, she was actually hit in the face, but the foot was a fake. Like it was like made like out of foot like or something. It wasn't foam. It was like, like made out of like a gelatin cast. Oh, uh, okay. So it moved kind of like a foot. But that's why there's only one cut during that. And it's like the cut of the immediate impact because you see everything around the impact, but they do a quick cut during the impact. And it's because the foot looked goofy, but you do kind of see it. And I was like, did they just kick her in the face or no, they didn't because we didn't see it. Right. And it's like, oh, they did hit her in the face with the foot, but it wasn't a real foot, which I thought was cool. (laughs) But yeah, so, uh, you know, then Lisa doesn't see the prowler anymore and she starts moving towards the, uh, towards the ladder and the prowler like pops up out of the water really cool effect very like jason Voorhees popping yeah. out of like crystal lake kind of thing like yep. he's just there um and this is pretty gruesome too so uh he like has the bayonet and he's like cutting her throat and they my problem with especially considering that tom savini did these effects and he did the friday the 13th like the original effects There were like some throat cutting scenes in both, but there were some things about that effect that I didn't think was effective as this. There's something about this one where it looked to me like it was like in her throat and he was like sawing it. I was like, oh man, like he must have learned some more like tricks, like to conceal the fact that he's not, because he's obviously not murdering this girl. But like just that the way that scene was shot. And so like, and then there's like blood like falling out of her throat into the pool. And then, like, even the way the blood, like I said, like, I have a lot of problems with these older movies with the blood effects. They always look a little bit off. But the way that the blood hit the water in that looked a lot like blood. It was, like, interesting. And then she kind of, like, what, like, sunk down and, like, the wound is still there. And there's, like, blood coming out of it. It's like, oh, man. Like, that was another one. <laughs> another pretty gruesome kill. So I'll ask Adam, like, friend of the show uh, and special effects guy like how they could have done this because what I thought was interesting is a lot of times when you see these kills, all of the special effects happens outside of the water, right? Specifically this one, it started outside of the water and then finished underwater. So they were able to get that effect to happen underwater. So there's like no makeup or, or if it's makeup, it's like water resistant or something because they were able to do some pretty crazy stuff underwater which you don't see a lot in, in horror movies because it's really hard to do that stuff underwater and make, you know, cause like some of the stuff, like they'll use like corn syrup or something. It like dissolves, right? It's well, they basically had to do it in like, yeah, that, and they had to do it in like one take yeah. because the way that the, the amount of yep. blood in the water changed as the scene went on. So yep. they basically had to like get it in one. They'd have to like probably drain the Reset. pool and do it yeah. again. Yeah. Yep. And they, and we talked uh, last time about how some of the, these effect shots were so involved. They took like an entire day of shooting to get a, a scene like that down. Yeah. Um, but this one, I feel like they even had to do less uh, or they couldn't even reset it because uh, the actress who plays Lisa, 
uh, after this was shot, her skin was like dyed like bright red from the blood. <laughs> and it took like a few days for it to go away. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's like it's one of those things about practical effects. Like you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So so, uh, you know, gruesome kill. Uh, finally, we get a cut to uh, Sally uh, reporting uh, to Miss Allison that Lisa had left before the announcement uh, and had gone to the pool. Uh, so Miss Allison goes goes out to get her. That'll probably end well. You know, Paul's being arrested, and he makes a, a another one of those what, Hawaii Five O jokes. Says Bookum Pamo. Yeah, like yeah. So it's like oh, that's funny since we've made similar jokes on this. But Pam laughs at that. I'm like, are you charmed by Paul? Or you should, maybe she's just trying to make uh, make Mark jealous. Doesn't matter. Uh, we go to a scene of Sally and Ben. Um, this is what I told you earlier is like, uh, Ben is trying to get her go down to the, to go down to the basement with him since they can bone down because apparently a lot of people do it. And that's a good reason to do something like that. Uh, so they're going to the basement to try to find a mattress. that's allegedly down there or like a hidden place, which is kind of a callback to earlier when they talked about a guy who is a caretaker for the place and has a mattress downstairs that he sleeps on. See? All of it comes together. This is all one one uh, one tangled web of of facts and in, incident here. So we get back to Prowler doing some creeping, and I was like, "Who's he gonna get?" Because I I couldn't tell if he was like, because like we get some prowling shots of the creeping, and this was actually indoor creeping, mm-hmm. but then Miss Allison is outside because she gets to the pool. Um, she sees the bloody pool and goes to run away. But then she runs by some bushes and the prowler just grabs her uh, and then stabs her in the neck. So she's gone. This one wasn't the best kill effect. It was pretty good. But like we mostly get a shot like the camera kind of goes down to her feet and like we see the blood. We don't get a lot of actual shots of the effect. I think the only thing that was interesting was like before was a slash with the bayonet and this is a stab into the throat with it. So pretty good. Um so that's when um, uh, Mark explains to Paul that he's being held for disturbing the peace. And that was when I was like, I thought he was um, he was being arrested for public intoxication. Um, but Paul's terrible jokes finally annoy even Pam. This is when, oh, this is when we see uh, Sally and her boyfriend are making out on that mattress they found out. And the person who was creeping around in the building was Mr. Turner, mm-hmm. old man Turner himself. Down there watching them make out on, I guess, his bed? I don't know. So, like, I just, like, revealed, said, ah, so Turner was revealed to be a creep, as I suspected. Because he kept talking about the good old days. It's like, there's no one who would think these are the good old days unless he was a creep. So that's another red herring, because we, as we've established, he's not the murderer. But he did have, like, a, a similar POV shot that we'd seen the Prowler use. So he's another suspect. Along with whoever the actual prowler is, I don't think at this point we've learned that that prowler had been apprehended by the state police. That was oh, uh, now I, uh, Pat Kingsley shows up to the uh, to the police station um, and says that a bunch of college kids are up to no good at the cemetery. Um, which I feel like it kind of goes without saying that if you're at the cemetery at night, you're probably not up to much good. And this is kind of like the first time we've seen Pat since the store, and he's got a very different attitude this time around. And I think that's why he's kind of intended to be another suspect at this mm-hmm. point. So, um, yeah, uh, 
Mark goes to investigate the cemetery, leaving Pam in the Jeep again. Again, she is not going to lock the doors. Um, Mark finds an open grave. And there seems to be like a fake out scare because it seems like someone is sneaking up behind him based on the camera movement. But that is not ever really paid off in any major way. It's just another way to use camera techniques to kind of fake out the audience. So uh, Mark goes into the open uh, goes into the open grave to try to open up the coffin. Um, oh, by the way, this scene was actually filmed in a cemetery. And the open grave they used for this is an actual open grave that had been awesome. dug to have someone be buried in it the next day. That's like so the Savini some... special, dude. <laughs> he like just George Romero did that stuff. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys know. They know what's up. It's just so funny, though, the, the idea that, like, there's a funeral tomorrow. They would better film tonight, baby. Let's get in there. Um, but that's that's super funny that, like, uh, they just were using actual, like, open graves. <laughs> um then uh that's cinema verite baby then uh we go to the the jeep and there's someone who seems to be approaching the jeep from behind um and this is why i think they did the scene with the sheriff or with the deputy with deputy mark and it turned out to be nothing so yeah, this time sure. when it turned out to be something we're a little bit more surprised and it's auto from the store before and it, <laughs> what a weird scene because he's like going into the vehicle and scaring the hell out of Pam. She screams and runs, but he makes no attempt to explain what he's doing. It's like, can you imagine how many things in this movie would have gone differently if people just explained why they were being so creepy or weird, but no Otto just wants to be a creep for no reason and to make the audience think maybe Otto is the killer. So yeah, uh, Pam uh, goes uh, out to the open grave with Mark, deciding that the open grave is safer than the Jeep at this point. Uh, which is interesting that Mark didn't want to go back and ask Otto what the deal was, but I think he was too focused on opening up that coffin. Uh, coffin's opened up. It's Lisa's corpse. Throat cut. She dead. Uh, and then Mark notices uh, the rose on the gravestone, uh, suggesting that it's Rosemary's grave, which is something that Pam later explains is, in fact, the, the case. Then uh, Mark returns to the police station and he's trying well, to call. So she had the ro- she had a rose with her too in the casket. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's also a rose on the. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that his calling card, so you knew for sure. Like, but like, th- this is like why I think that the original targets were Lisa and Sherry, not Pam. And I think Lisa was the main target the whole time. Because like, why would he go through all that trouble? Because obviously he's trying to reenact the killing of, of Rosemary, like for sure. Right. So which like, is interesting though, because he also had it out for Roy during the killing of Rosemary, like, cause Roy's actually one who's killed first. He stabs through Roy to get to Rosemary. Yeah. But I, I think, I think, but he, he doesn't seem to be as concerned with attacking their boyfriends. Cause he doesn't make any effort to murder Paul. Right. As so opposed he, to Carl, who he did definitely want to kill. But Carl was just right. kind of in his way. Correct. So I think I think the targets were, and you can see that he has a misplaced hatred for certain women. And I think the reason that Major Chatham was watching Cindy all the time is because he kind of looked like she kind of looked like Rosemary. So I think I think the target was Lisa the whole time, and and I think they kind of who who's Cindy or Lisa. So that's the actress's name. I'm sorry, Lisa. Um, Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 So Lisa, so yeah. 
So I think that's why Major Chatham was paying so much attention to her is because she kind of looked like his daughter. And oh, I think, gotcha, gotcha. I think they kind of hinted at this by putting her in that casket because he didn't do that with any of the other bodies, right? No, nah, he just left them where they were. Correct. So this one had a little more like yeah, it's more significance. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, I think she was the target. I think Pam and Mark and pretty much everyone else is wrong place, wrong time. Honestly, um, which is which is even creepier, right? To me, because it, this guy's like just I'll just kill whoever's in front of me. Because if you watch the other like slashers, if one thing they established in the late seventies in these movies or mid to late seventies is they'll just these like slashers just kill everyone. There's no rhyme or reason. They're just killing because they that's them right so i think um adding some like agency behind the prowler of like they, there's like a mission or something they're trying to do makes it a lot more to, in my mind makes it a little more creepy um but yeah i i i still think that and we'll get into something that happens later that makes no fucking sense but i think that's the reason why so that's kind of how i put it all together but in my brain i could be all wrong right. No, 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 no. And, and yeah, we can move on since we're getting close yep. to the uh, close to the pieces starting to fall together here. Um, so, oh, yeah. Uh, so the Mark uh, tries to call the sheriff, uh, the lodge where he's staying at. Uh, the guy who's working at the lodge uh, is not interested in helping. <laughs> he's playing solitaire. He says, I just started. I don't know who's here. And uh, whenever he says, um, you know, well, can you go get the sheriff? When Mark's like, hey, can you go get the sheriff? He's like, sure. He puts the phone down, pretends to have the gate slam, yeah. sits there and plays solitaire a little longer, slams the gate again, is like, mm, he's not here. <laughs> so, but like, little, like, we as the audience will later learn he isn't there. He's murdering people. But right. yeah, so it's just, it's so funny how unhelpful <laughs> that guy is. Uh, after leaving a message with the guy to give to the sheriff, um, or, Thinking he did. I don't think the guy writes it down. I like uh, when he's trying to find that pencil. Yeah. It's like it's like in his ear. It was, it was pretty good. So uh then uh, uh Mark decides to uh you know try to call the state police. So Pam goes in to talk to Paul. Luckily for her, Paul's asleep because that'd be a really uh awkward conversation explaining to him that his girlfriend is dead. Mark says the state police will be there in half an hour uh and goes to the dance and leaves Pam there while uh, he goes back out to the Chatham house, or at least that's his plan. Uh, Pam will not allow it. And it's an interesting scene because they don't actually have an argument about it. She just stands there and he just like kind of, you know, tilts his head to the side and is like, all right, get back here. You rascal. Come investigate a murderer with me. (laughs) Like (laughs) It's like such an interesting scene. Oh, by the way, something I didn't mention, I probably should have. The state police announced that they've actually already apprehended their prowler. So the murderer is not the prowler. So that's why the state police are actually going to be like, all right. Or, so or he is the prowler. He's just not that prowler. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing is like the prowler referring to the prowler that is the first red herring that we see, or is the prowler the name of the villainous man who's doing the murdering? We'll never know. <laughs> or we can just pretend that it's whatever we want it to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, Mark leaves Pam downstairs uh, and goes to check upstairs again. Even though earlier he had said it seemed like no one had been there for a long time, there's no like wheelchair access to the upstairs. All of the furniture upstairs has like sheets on it, you know, that you do when you're not using rooms. It's ridiculous. Well, and they really, and they did this the first time. I didn't bring this up 
And he did it again. They really love that door at the top of the stairs. Yeah, that very first one. Yeah. And so well, apparently so does the prowler. So. Well, yeah, this time, that time, I don't think the prowler was there. This time the prowler is there. Because okay. I thought the prowler was in a well-lit room before when he was doing all his reactions to like sounds. But in any case, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was the same room. He's just been there the whole time. The prowl. Well, other than when he's murdering folks. Because I think that's her room, right? Uh, I don't know. It seemed like I had a lot of furniture in it. For being yeah, I don't know. Room. Anyways. Yeah. In any, yeah. In any case, the, the prowler like takes out his bayonet, which gives you the idea that, you know, he's going to have the jump on Mark. This is kind of an interesting scene because like um, in the office where she had found all the stuff about Rosemary earlier. Pam's like walking and the way the camera is moving and following her and there's like not a lot happening, but like it's kind of move. She's moving slowly. The camera's moving slowly. It's kind of unnerving. Um, the uh, the lights go off in the house. Mark's <laughs> Mark starts flipping the light switch like the entire power didn't just go off in the house. <laughs> like, like I said, Mark isn't our smartest guy. Like he's not the brightest bulb, but there he is. He's doing his best. Mark gets jumped on by the prowler and he gets taken down. Um, I wrote here that it's not clear if the Prowler finished him off or not. Uh, we'll learn later that he hadn't, which I don't really know why, other than I don't because either. the Prowler's the sheriff. He just didn't want to kill his buddy. Like it's, it's the first time he's shown any restraint on his murders. He's usually doing them quite gruesomely. See, I, I um, think like if because if you know anything about like serial killers or like I mean, typically though, I mean they would probably kill anyone that got in their way. But like I don't think he gets any fulfillment from that. Like I think this is he's driven to kill these women. Not Mark. Well, he killed the hell out of Carl, buddy. Yeah, but that was in his. He was in his way, right? Yeah, I guess so. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's clear that this dude's having a psychotic break. Probably I mean, brought on by sure. like PTSD. <laughs> but... I mean, definitely not. Probably he for sure is. <laughs> like, <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, Pam uh sees some jewelry hanging in the fireplace below Rosemary's picture. And she tugs on it because there's no way this can go wrong. She sure she she certainly didn't find a uh, uh, empty coffin that belonged to Rosemary earlier, and shouldn't be surprised when the decomposing corpse of Rosemary drops on her from the from the chimney flume. But she does, and she screams quite a bit about it. So she goes to try to run and opens the door to that room. And there's the prowler holding a rose. And he's like, I'm here for our date, Rose. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this man's going through some stuff. And also, I didn't realize he had more roses. So that's good to know. Um, the uh, prowler's chasing Pam through the house. This is a very tense scene, by the way. This this chase sequence. Very. Yeah. Like, I think at some point, uh, Pam goes into one of those rooms where, like, the, the sheets are covering all the furniture. Mm-hmm. She finds a place to hide. And this is why I didn't think that this was... Uh, rose's room because the prowler seems to have no qualms about smashing everything trying to locate pam because he just starts like wrecking everything um oh no i meant the room at the top of the stairs that they kept focusing is that not where she's at or did she go to no oh she she went to a different one she went she went down the hall where so like you go at the top of the stairs you make the right and then you make another right there was those double rooms that were adjoining that had all the furniture in there no you're right you're right that's that's my bad there's like a, a random rat that suddenly shows up and walks over to Pam. So you think oh, solid she Indiana gonna... Jones scene. <laughs> so you think, oh, is she going to scream because of the rat? But yeah. like, just like, uh, just like in Chopping Mall, when all of the like snakes and spiders from the pet store yeah. were crawling on Kelly Mulroney's character, but she k- stayed quiet so the robots wouldn't find her. Uh, so too, 
does Pam. She stays quiet. She doesn't let that rat uh, blow her blow her cover. So let me see. Uh, she goes to make a run for it. Um, this time, uh, once the prowler seems to be going to the other room, he chases her. Uh, she finds a room, and she's actually like got some good tactics here. So the door, he has the pitchfork, and he has the pitchfork like through the door. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not going to be able to probably stop him from getting in. But she's like, what I can do is break the top off of this pitchfork. And she like slams the door on the pitchfork top and breaks it off, which is really cool. But, you know, now she's like <clears throat> in the room. Prowler's advancing on her with his bayonet drawn because he had more than just a pitchfork, guys. Um, and then Otto, who was creepy earlier, just like rolls in and just blasts the Prowler with a shotgun. And I was like, oh, man. Like, so Otto wasn't a creep and in probably one of the goofiest scenes. Yeah, I was going to say, we have to talk about it. Like the weird music and like the weird head nod, like the like it's like him and her and Otto are just like gazing into each other's eyes and like like smiling and giving like subtle head nods to each other and stuff while like the music is like swelling. And it's like, is this a romance now or is like, did we miss something like? they have some kind of connection <laughs> like this is the same dude that scared her so much she fled earlier <laughs> and it's now like here to like like have this very sweet scene <laughs> that seems to be no like basis for don't worry it doesn't last long yeah but fortunately it doesn't matter because the prowler sits up and ha- blasts auto with a double barrel shotgun we fucking blast him man <laughs> just blood everywhere just like it was wild um but yeah then uh but luckily uh, you know, uh, Pam goes into Jason Bourne mode, um, and just like stabs the prowler in the back with the pitchfork. Uh, so, you know, Pam and, and the, and the prowler are struggling. Uh, she does manage to get his, um, get his, uh, you know, helmet and mask off where it's revealed to us. It's the sheriff. And honestly, there's a lot that's just kind of left up to audience interpretation here. Cause we never get any explanation from the sheriff about what's happening. Yep. Like they, they, he, she sees it's him. She was like, sheriff, like, you know, she's surprised. We're surprised unless you haven't seen this movie and you let me spoil it for you earlier, which, what are you doing? But You're surprised. Uh, I'm surprised. Um, so, and then, so, uh, but the struggle for the gun ends with, uh, you know, uh, Pam finally gets the upper, upper hand points a double barrel shotgun at his head and just blows it to bits. Yeah, like, like gone. Just exploded his head. And uh so there's a lot of fun facts about this head effect thing. So they had to do like a cast of the head to actually destroy one, obviously. Um and uh apparently uh uh Farley Granger, the actor who played the sheriff, uh had claustrophobia and it was very difficult to get him to like agree to do a cast of his head. And um during the scene where they blow off the head that that fake head they created from the cast there mm-hmm. uh tom savini used an actual double barrel shotgun and blew it to pieces oh my god so it wasn't even like a fake gunshot That's that was so like awesome. real yeah so tom savini like literally blew this head apart like man that head shot like it really reminds me of um if you remember from dawn of the dead yeah was i was that just random- thinking that I was that random headshot literally just thinking that <laughs> and that was like one where like they had planned to use that like head they're they going to destroy it later with like 
a more negative like ending and then they're like well we have this entire head we can blow apart so they just do it in a random <laughs> scene it's kind of like that just like out of nowhere head exploded oh man uh, um, yeah it was so, wild yes yeah, yeah yeah um mark's revealed to be alive um for some they, reason yeah uh they drive back to the dorm uh the dorm house is i say dorm house because it is like a house but a, i guess it's supposed to be a dorm um uh sends her inside while he goes to stock, uh, talk to the state police. Pam finally notices that the shower has been running that entire time. Cause it's like now the next morning. So, um, <laughs> she goes in, opens the shower door and sees how their corpses were, uh, were staged. And it's pretty gruesome. Like Sherry's corpse is like, you know, there and all like bloody and everything. Um, the prowler had hung Carl's corpse, uh, by his tie up on the shower head and his eyes are all bug eyed and gross looking. Mm-hmm. So it's actually pretty gruesome. Um, and then we get a jump scare where Carl's corpse tries to grab her. Um, but it turns out that was just in her head. Um, but she does scream to notify everyone. There's some corpses here. So, so like I, I want to do, I, I, I think we should do like a re- reoccurring segment where we talk about so far, like the best jump scare or best moment. And I, I think this might have to be the best jump scare so far that we've done. I'm sure we're going to get better ones or different ones that we, you know, would better. So subjective, but like out of like not expecting it, you, you know, like coming into that. So like, you know, they don't know that her friends are dead. So like they're playing like all that. Hey, you made it. Everything's going to be okay. And then you get to that scene and like you're in like getting into the shower and you're like, holy shit, what are they going to find? And you see it and that happens to her. I, and I, I, to me, I think that's the, so far out of all the movies we've seen, that's the best jump scare. But, um, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. I do think that the fact that, well, number one, it was kind of like a reference jump scare. Uh, mm-hmm. They intended it to be reminiscent of the jump scare at the end of uh, Carrie. Yeah. And you definitely have some of that. Um, I would be inclined to think it's cheap because it is all in her head. If only it weren't for the design of Carl's body. Like it's something just jarring about the way his eyes are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is building on the audience expectation that as gruesome as this is, it's not like anything can happen. He's dead. And then for them to do that jump scare, that's what I think makes it effective and makes it like so that I don't think it's completely cheap. But um, because it is a very like the way his body is chillingly gross looking. Yeah. (laughs) So so when he like reaches out to her and then but then, of course, we get like, you know, it was all in her head and the chair or the deputy Mark is on his way up to, you know, comfort her because we're dead friends. And then we get like some soft woodwind music to accompany the the credits which I thought was lovely. You know, after everything, we could all use a break. Yeah. So there we go. That was the plot synopsis of The Prowler, which, um, you know, we've kind of gotten into talking about a lot of things we like about it. So maybe it's time to move into Judgment Categories.
good one? Great one. All right. I so, uh, <laughs> yeah, as our audience knows, that we assign a letter grade uh, to uh, five categories. They are story, acting, effects, writing, and then cult factor, which is that little X factor that makes these sorts of movies extra special. Um, so let's kick it off with story. What you got any thoughts, man? I it's going to be, this is, I I'm not trying to do this, but I don't know why I loved this so much. And to you, you have to watch this movie twice because the first time you watch it, you don't, I, I don't think you pick up on a lot of things that are happening. It, maybe you do. And you're very observant, but probably, and I think it was kind of filmed that way on purpose. Like a lot of the stuff that's going on has purpose, but you don't always know that purpose until later, which is, I think is so cool to, to have that kind of playing in the background because the whole time you're like, who is this? Why are they doing this? They're not explaining this to me. You, you get little pieces of like exposition, but it's through like letters or like photos. So you're never actually sure. So there's always that like in the back of the, back your mind like this guy just might be crazy and just starts killing people like so i i would go a i don't um, know I'm, no i'm actually inclined to agree i think that there is a lot of interesting plot details going on here i think that it's easy to get sort of tired of the number of red herrings that they put in there for you but so many of them are established like kind of naturally that it's honestly not even that the movie is telling us that these are red herrings. It's so that we are inferring it based off of yes. our knowledge of these sorts of movies. And right. yeah, so I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm there. I, I think that also it's so interesting to have like a, a veteran who's a jilted lover, who's clearly suffering from PTSD to be the villain of a movie. Yeah. Like, especially since like, I mean, the lionization of the greatest generation is like, complete like even then it was like a, a real thing so the idea that this guy who served in world war ii like is also a murderer <laughs> like it's just such an interesting take and i yeah so i'm inclined to agree i, I would say this is nay good shit so, yeah that brings us to acting um, what, are you, what are you feeling uh honestly if one of our lead actors wasn't uh the actor who played mark I could have probably gone a, but man, that dude is just such a goofus. Like it's kind of hard to say a with him being such a, a pivotal character, but at the same time, that is also what that character is, right? Like he's trying to prove himself. He's the, the deputy, the new deputy. He's only been there a couple of years. It, you know, he's trying to fill in for like this, like longstanding sheriff. So it's kind of hard for me to like, to tell if it's like bad acting or if this dude is just a, goofball um that said i think uh pam is pretty solid uh the actress who plays her is, is doing good work um all of her friends are appropriately insufferable but in mostly believable ways <laughs> so there's just a lot of background characters that are kind of forgettable and then somewhat and then they're either forgettable or creepy <laughs> in order to be either uh either to be uh, murder fodder or to be uh, red herrings for, you know, Mr. X for who the actual murderer is. So 
I, I'm going to say B, but I could be convinced into A if you can really make a case for the, sher- the sheriff's deputy guy. I So th- this is where this gets muddy, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I, I don't know how much if it was him or the character. So taking him out of the the picture, right? You know, this is the perfect example of less is more. So you don't have these crazy scenes where they're doing these like like back and forth dialogues, like long, like like a lot, right? Or or you don't have these longer scenes of just like exposition, other things, right? So in my mind, it's like, okay, did I believe Pam was scared out of her mind and was trying to run away and was surprised that it was the sheriff? Of course, right? Did the sheriff kind of play it off as a maniac, like threatening the other cop that he'll kick his ass the other side of the state? Like, yeah, it was, it was weird. Like, but it worked to, for me. So like, I, I mean, I, again, I hate to do this. I think it was an A and like with Mark's character, like the, the way I kind of rationalized it in my head was he seemed like some kind of like, not, I don't want to say flunky, but kind of just like, uh, go with the flow. Like he was probably in college with all of them and is older. Right. And then kind of stuck around and just got a job being a deputy. And obviously the sheriff put him in charge because he is incompetent, right? So, because the sheriff, if, you know, like if he was a super competent deputy, he probably wouldn't have made such a big deal about the fishing trip and all that stuff. He probably would have found another way for him to to handle it. So, I don't know. I, I would lean towards A, but I could I could do a B. I get it. Um, I don't know. I think you kind of convinced me. If the sheriff is somebody who has this, like, dark past and possibly continuing continually dark president like if we're going to assume that our theory that he is still doing murders <laughs> is real um then he wouldn't want to have a very competent sidekick or whatever so uh i think you talked me into it i think you talked me into an a for acting well done sir thank you thank you um next up then is effects i mean uh is there even a question yeah right yeah it's tom savini like these are great. These kills are gnarly. Some of them are truly like, I can't believe how many of them hold up as well as they do. It's so crazy. Practical effects. Like I said, I think there was only one kill that was kind of a dud for me. And it was just like the, the miss Allison one just didn't seem that inspired, but but it it was still gruesome. But was it not inspired because of how inspiring the other ones? Okay. So hold on. So we should, let's use a different word. Um, (laughs) so, uh, was it that lackluster because the other kills were so crazy and planned out and thought out? Um, but I think that kind of plays into what was happening is he didn't plan on killing her again. I think he had targets and he had to do what he had to do to keep moving and going through to get to the targets or, or not, you know, just finish his mission. Right. Which plays but, in the whole PTSD thing. So I think he just grabbed her cause she was out there. Yeah, she, that's true. She saw the body and was trying to get away and would have reported what he was doing. And he wasn't done yet. He hadn't staged the body correct. like he wanted to. So, no, you're right. Yeah, he just he just needed her out of the way. This wasn't one of his targets. So as soon as she came around the corner, he grabbed her and he like dispatched her with swiftness. So, you know, yeah. you're right. I'm wrong. Like, but it, it was never going to not be a anyway, though. <laughs> like for the yeah, effects, really. like even if one kill wasn't up to my standards. But even then you talked me out of that, too. So a for effects <laughs> writing. This is all you, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, again, I kind of got into a story, which I guess story and writing can be a little bit too similar, but there's so many like nuggets that are put through that pay off later. And so many like 
so many ways to keep the audience guessing and, and, and stuff like that. And it's not so overwritten that it restricts the ability for them to do like interesting things with the camera work and interesting things. Like they tell stories in so many ways and I'm, I'm sure writing is involved in all of that. Like there are like directions and for what the writer intends for a shot to be, but the idea that like the writing for all the things they sprinkle in and then the cinematography is able to play along with it so well. I probably have to say a for writing. Yeah, I agree with you again. Less is more. And I think they did a great job It when things happened. It was impactful and there was purpose behind it. It wasn't just there to fill like screen time. So yeah, I think I, the only thing it was kind of goofy is we never really know why the hell uh, the deputy keeps going upstairs to look for the wheelchair bound guy <laughs> but, or what happened to the wheelchair guy or even where he is. I like, guess kind of a dangling thread. If we but, ever meet Tom Savini, because I'm, I'm hoping through this journey that we're all taking together that we end up meeting him um and we can ask him like hey the fuck happened to major chatham <laughs> so, i mean there are plenty of conventions i'm sure we can meet him it's not i it's know not out of the realm of possibility. just find him um all right but last is cult factor and that's that x factor that i mentioned yeah i mean come on it's gotta be a right hundred percent well you're like you're waiting for me to say nah it's a c no it's i was gonna see that'd be really funny if you did after all of that no way this is this is gonna go down like you were talking about movies you're gonna watch all the time and like again i like slasher movies i'm not i'm not like obsessed with slasher movies like some people like that's their genre and i get it like you know more power to you um but i like the halloween like the original um, I like Friday the 13th. I, I like the older, I don't want to say simple cause that's not, that's not the correct way to kind of like them constantly trying to one up themselves in terms of story is where I think they're running into trouble. So when you have something like this, that's very effective, it knows what it is. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And the, like, they know why you're there and they do a great job at making sure you're entertained while you're there like, you know, the kills and all, all the other stuff that's planned out, like the jump scares and stuff. I I mean, this is just a phenomenal movie, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that this one is underappreciated. I think that it is part of, like, the, what, the slasher golden age. And I know that there's a lot of people who get kind of tired of, of the slasher genre, and I'm actually one of them. And this one... Like, and this one was actually one that I hadn't seen before we started our podcast. I actually was starting to look for movies that were a little bit out off the beaten path in order to do it. And this one was one that I had found through that. And I'm so glad I did because this is underrated. And yeah, this is like just one of those movies that I, yeah, it's going to be on the rotation. Like it's definitely, it's probably high on my list of like slasher faves now, like probably easily like top five. Um, cause like I said, so many of the slashers are either too prototypical or, or all of this thing. And this one for all of like the cinematography tricks that it uses, all of the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the little nuggets that it places through like the acting and the story and the, and the cuts to different people and it all kind of fits together. And I think that subsequent watches will only improve that. Um, so yeah, this is it. It's, it's in the rotation. I'm, I'm there. So a from me. Yeah, I think this is kind of why this movie is kind of why we wanted to do this show. Um, Not only for us to find cool movies for us to watch and talk about together, but also to shed light on some of these like hidden gems. Now, I guess obviously like 
the term hidden gem has different, um, you know, different connotations, but you know, again, I like horror movies and I really didn't know anything about this movie. I knew, I knew it existed and I knew Tom Savini worked on it, but I'd never seen it. So yeah, I, I think, um, to me, this is the perfect example of like why we're doing this show. So, well then I guess that means it's time for our next segment, uh, which you know, we didn't use the letter D at all in that, so we can't really segue into the it. A roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is the <laughs> The D <laughs> Which the the D the D roll being, of course, the uh the last uh hat on a hat that we do where we put things into one last category in case you didn't have enough categories from the judgment categories. Uh, the, the categories for the D roll are cult classic B movie grindhouse or trash. Um, so yeah. trash, obviously right <laughs> now. <laughs> so, <See ya. laughs> no, I think it's no surprise where I'm yeah, standing. This, <laughs> this is called classic for sure. But you know, like, so the, the gore level in this is high, right? And I mean, obviously most slashers are going to be, um, you know, be in that category. I think that's not for everybody, but again, outside of the gore kill like scenes and stuff, this is still a good movie. Like even if you, even if they like cut away from like, obviously you wouldn't want that, but even if the kills were less, it still would be a good movie, right? The story is cool. Um, the, the whole, like the atmosphere, everything they do with it's good. So like if you take out the immaculate, special effects stuff it's still good in my opinion so yeah 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 i mean it's it's very capably mm-hmm. directed i've mentioned the cinematography a number of times uh the music is you know um not my usual favorite but i think that it's very effective um yeah there's like a, almost nothing really to complain about other than the characters make some weird choices and i think i've mentioned many times before is like that's right. the genre. Like they're going to do some stupid stuff. Like we know it's going to happen, but like all in all, like there's a, there's a lot of, this is just a quality movie. And I'm actually surprised because of how many writers work on it. Like usually the, the thing with Hollywood movies is like, if you have more than a couple of writers, it's going to start to fall apart. And the idea that this doesn't, that it in fact holds together really well is kind of a, uh, I don't know, credit to whatever they were going for. I don't know if it, if it was like the director making the final call on the, sh- on the set or how it ended up that so many people with writers could be involved, but you didn't feel like there were too many cooks in the kitchen. So yeah. Cult classic for me all day, all day, all day, all day, son, all day. All right. Uh, but yeah, no. So I think that what we usually do now that we've done the D roll is we talk about the movie we're yep. going to cover next. What's on. What's up? So what's on, the, what's actually, on the agenda? What's on the uh, agenda for the Tri <laughs> yeah. Slashathon part two. part two? Yes, for our, for the continuation of the Tri Slashathon, we are actually going to be doing a uh, uh, probably not really as l- like lesser known as the Prowler is, but uh, still a, a goodie, and it's called Sleepaway Camp, the nineteen eighty three uh, classic slasher taking place at a summer camp. Keeping that summer try slashathon energy going. Um, this one is very easy to locate. Uh, you can find it. Let me see. Tubi, obviously. Roku Channel. 
Pluto TV, Plex. I believe it's even on Peacock. Uh, I think it's on Prime Video, uh, Crackle. Really easy to find this one. Um, I thought it was on Shutter too, but it wasn't listed there, so maybe it had, had left Shutter. Um, but still, no shortage of apps and free apps where you can locate that one. So, um, have you seen this one before, Shane? I have not. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, probably any any like any nuggets of like, uh, hey, what are we in store for? Uh, probably one thing I'll mention is that this movie is, you know, it came out in 1983, different era, but there are some issues involving uh, LGBT, uh, LGBTQ plus um, all of the LGBT plus community um, that might not be handled with as much sensitivity uh, as those issues deserve uh, in the modern era. So obviously we are here to have fun, but not be disrespectful. And uh, Shane and I will both uh, do our best as, you know, being two cisgendered heterosexual men uh, to navigate those parts of the issues with the respect that they deserve. And, you know, including pointing out times where this is not cool. This will not fly and that kind of thing. Um, I just figured I should bring that up uh, just to let uh, any listeners know that there are some things about this movie that don't hold up as well. I still think it's worthwhile as an artifact. Um, And then just as a a kind of, uh, you know, gory time. But um, but yeah, so that's I just figured I should bring that up uh, just as a quick disclaimer to anyone that might get into it and not expect it to be maybe a little wrongheaded in some ways. It definitely is, but I still think it's worthwhile despite that. Yeah, I think like so one one goal we have again, Stefan said that is to have fun, but like the channel, like our our whole group in general, we try to stay apolitical with stuff. Um not because we don't have opinions because everyone has opinions, but we just like you're here for a reason and it's probably not to hear about that kind of stuff. But I think it's also important for us to point those things out and to highlight those things because it it's, you know, it's important to know where you came from. That way you're not kind of heading back in that direction. And I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. But um, so if that's a problem with anyone, you know, I really don't know what to say. I guess you can hate tweet us or whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I hadn't seen that movie and, um, and look like, I mean, everyone that's listening to this, you've watched movies from the eighties and nineties and you understand like it, it, it was a very different time. Uh, I mean, like it, it, even some of the stuff from when we were like, like, I don't think you could get away with some of the stuff even from like when we were in high school, like, I mean, or even younger, like, you know, maybe middle school, like look at the Chappelle show and stuff like that. So I think there's just things like, um, when you look at it, like kind of like in a vacuum, uh, but we'll do our best to, to weed through that stuff. Um, yeah, I think the important thing is like, even if the movie is wrong headed, we're not going to have fun at the expense of any yeah. groups that might be maligned. Sure. And I think that there's a lot, uh, to be gained by pointing out why these things are yep. not really the, like, this was not good fodder for this kind of situation, not a good portrayal of this sort of thing or, you know, that, that kind of thing. So as much as we are able to, we will talk about it. And as much as we, uh, you know, aren't, we will stay in our lane and just move on. So yeah, I think that pretty much summarizes what I wanted to get out there. 
Yeah, definitely. And so just, uh, I didn't really talk about this at the beginning of the show. I mean, I always thank everyone for their support. Um, it's overwhelming. Like it's awesome. Um, everyone's been super cool. Uh, even feedback, we, we always welcome it, whether it's positive or negative, right? So if you can rate the show, share it with a friend. Um, we're just, again, we're here to have fun and we hope you guys enjoy the ride. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I had. You didn't want to plug your, uh, or our Twitter. Oh yeah. You <laughs> I feel like you, you do that. So, you tweet so often you almost never bring it up. I know it's like second nature. Uh, so, um, we obviously are on Twitter. You can find us uh, at dark side driving and uh, Stefan, you're at Twitter at uh, dark Schneid, right? That is correct. Dark Schneid, not, not dark Schneider, which is another, it's a reference to anime, but that person exists. And I, I do follow them because I almost keep tweeting them about stuff. So I don't know who that person is, but uh, dark Schneid, not dark Schneider. So, um, yeah, uh, you could, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us, honestly. Um, so if you have any questions, suggestions, uh, anything, just you know, tweet us or tweet at us. I don't know. Sound like a boomer, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's all I had. So anything else? No, that'll do it. I think we're good to sign off. So mm-hmm. well. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> It's your reprise for the second Supernaturals movie? Uh, yeah. The, wait, what? <laughs> There's not a second. You get out of here. There, there isn't, thank God. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been Shane. Hey, I've been Stefan. Spooky. Spooky.